0: But I am not... I, I ain't got time or energy or effort to be lugging around a, a snotty snotty rag and wiping my nose with it. No, 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 no. Diz Runs Radio, episode 887. Starts in three, two... Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Well, 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 here we are at end of another month trick or treat. Not quite today. Trick or treat tomorrow, at least as this comes out the day before Halloween, uh, October 30th, 2020. We made it to another month. Only two months and a day left in this year. Um, and then hopefully, magically, everything gets better in 2021, right? Well, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But for now, uh, welcome to this month's Q&A episode. It's going to be a beast. So buckle up or be prepared to press pause and come back to it. Um, you already know how long it is because you can see it in your in your podcast app. Um, I have no idea, but I know we've got like 37, 38 questions, something like that. Uh, so I wouldn't be shocked if this eclipses last month's two hour and 13 minute episode. and ends up, I hope not, ends up longer than that, but it wouldn't wouldn't surprise me. So we'll see. I'll try to keep things concise, but you all know how that works around here. Not very well, but before we dive into this month's questions, a couple of typical Q&A episode house cleaning uh, things to do slash announcements to make. So uh, first and foremost, as, as long-time listeners are aware, this is an episode that we do each and every month. You ask questions, I answer them. Sometimes they're running related, sometimes they're not. Sometimes the answers are useful, also sometimes they're not. Uh, but something that I think is fun, I enjoy it, you all seem to enjoy it, so we do it Uh, And if you're new around here, the best way to get your questions answered each month is to jump into the Facebook group. It's not a requirement, but it's definitely the the easiest way to avoid losing the questions uh, because each month I put out a a post uh, about 10 days before the episode launches that says, what are your questions for this month? You put them in the comment section and that way that they're there. They're easy for me to find. And we ask the questions. So if you want to do that, and, and there's a lot of other tomfoolery that goes on each month as well, beyond just that one post asking for the questions. Um, so come join the group. Come join the party. Uh, like I said, I think we have some fun in there. Uh, usually a few laughs, some memes, some some gifs, some some tomfoolery as well. I think I already mentioned that. Uh, but slash facebook is the link that will direct you right there. And of course, if you're on Facebook, if you just search for the Dizruns Tribe, ask to join. We'll let you in. Bada boom, bada bam. You're good to go. And then, uh, like I said, about uh, about a week and a half before the end of the month, which these episodes come out on the last Friday of every month, about a week and a half before that, I put a post up, you put your questions in, and uh, that's that's how this particular sausage gets made. Uh, the other announcement that I've been, been kind of adding in at the end of these, or at the beginning of these, but at the end of the uh, how to get your, your questions a- answered segment of the Q&A, is uh, the reminder... That uh, this this year, meaning from July one to July one, the focus of the interviews of the podcast is you guys. You know, if if you want to raise your hand, if you want to volunteer to, to join me on the hot seat and talk shop and share some of your running stories, um, still still taking names, still taking volunteers. Uh, we still got several folks that that have raised their hand that, that I haven't reached out to yet, and we're trying to line up scheduling in the whole nine yards. But uh, I'm having a blast with it. I seems like has been getting pretty good feedback of of y'all getting to hear each other's stories. So if you're if you're up for it, and uh, you haven't gotten your your name on the list yet, which basically just means you haven't reached out to me yet, let me know. Uh, send me a message on social media, send me an email, whatever the case might be, and just say, Hey, Johan, I'm down for I'm down for chatting. I'll add you to the list and we will get to you. And if it extends beyond July, then it extends beyond July. I mean, you know, if a hundred of y'all raise your hands and that's, that's a hundred weeks of content, uh, and, and of conversations that I would enjoy having. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll make this last as long as we, as long as we can. Um, of course, thank you to everybody who's raised your hand so far. So now that we got all that under the way, let's, let's get to the, uh, the list, the laundry list of questions this month. Thank you all for everybody who submitted questions. Certainly appreciate it. As much as I may give, give us a little bit of a hard time about how many questions we have. I'd rather have too many questions than not enough because, well, I don't know. I just appreciative of questions. One question, 30 questions, 40 questions, whatever it ends up with that gives me an episode. So thank you all for all the questions and let's, let's do it. So the first one comes from Houston from Jennifer. What is the best part of shorter daylight days? So I am a fan of daylight savings time. I've said that before. I'll say it again. I know that the whole clock switching situation, like nobody's really a fan of that. Um, but but in general, I like daylight savings time. I like the longer days in the in the evening, the more daylight hours in the evening. So you know, there's really not much of a of a good part to me of the shorter daylight days, with the exception of that it just means that in theory, winter is coming. Not that, not that we get winter down here, but maybe, maybe what it just means is that in theory, the oppressive heat and humidity of Florida summer is at some point in the next four to six weeks going to maybe abate for a month or two. Um, there's never any guarantees. you know. It's, sometimes it's around this time of year. Sometimes it's Thanksgiving. Sometimes it's Christmas. Sometimes it's my birthday in January. At some point, theoretically, we'll get a month or two of, of cooler weather. I don't know when it's going to come. I don't know if it's going to come this year with, with what it's been and probably just skip right, skip right on past us. It's probably the best with the best weather is probably already behind us. Uh, but in theory the day's getting shorter means that the, uh, the air conditioning bill is going to drop a little bit cause it's going to get cooler outside. And that's about the only thing that I look forward to about the days getting shorter. Uh, but I, I, you know, if we didn't have to drop back from daylight, if we could just stay in daylight savings time, the weather would still get better in theory. So, you know, I'd rather do that, but, We'll see, Um, but yeah, not not a whole lot. It just gets darker, shorter days. Not my cup of tea. But thank you for the question, Jennifer. Next one down the down the road here in Florida from my man Jay. Uh, If I understand correctly, that aerobic exercise builds stamina and burns fat. That an exercise. Wait a second. Let me let me restart this one. I'm I'm reading. I think I'm reading it correctly, but I'm not understanding it. So let me let me start over. Round two, Jay's question. If I understand correctly, that aerobic exercise builds, stam- builds stamina and burns fat, um, then an exercise that would naturally lead itself toward a lower heart rate, like swimming or biking, would that be better than running to build a base and or to foster some weight loss? I hope that question makes sense. It absolutely makes sense, Jay. I just struggle to read sometimes. Uh, but but yes, in theory, that would work out. Here's here's the caveat. So you know, if you've heard me talk before about heart rate training about. Um, the, the value of building your base, running easy, running slow to, to race fast, all that kind of stuff. That's, that's what you're getting at here, Jay. And, and, and yeah, absolutely. You know, when it comes to to your body, uh, and, and, building an aerobic base and, and being in the fat burning zone, things like that, which is what happens at the lower levels of intensity of exercise. Um, it really doesn't matter what you're doing right? Like, like your body doesn't go, Oh, well we're, we're swimming. So, you know, let's do this. Let's, let's make this happen versus when we're running, let's make that happen. It all is about the, the level of intensity, the level of effort that your body has to go through based on the various activities. And there's, there's no question that cycling, that swimming, because they're not weight bearing exercises like running is, um, that, that, you know, the same level of, of intensity, as far as how hard you feel like you're working, Typically your your heart rate ends up being lower with, with being in the in the water, being on the bike. So, you know, to, to improve your your cardiac base or your, your aerobic base, to, to you know be in the weight loss zone of, of you know exercise intensity. Um, those things will work. Those things will work and you'll be able to be there longer typically than running. Whereas, you know, a lot of folks when they start into heart rate training or just focus on building their, you know, building their base by, by running at a, at a lower level of intensity are often surprised at how quickly the heart rate can climb up. That said, so, so to, to answer your question, first of all, yes, to build your base, to, to foster some weight loss, I don't know that it'd be better, but it'd be just as good to swim or bike as it is to run because you're going to have an easier time keeping your heart rate below the thresholds, which is going to allow you to maybe get a longer period of workout or at least feel like you're working harder, which I think is a lot of times what people struggle with when they switch to more of a heart rate effort based training style for running. That said, when you go back to running, you're going to have be in for a little bit of an adjustment period, right? Because you're not building running fitness when you're cycling. You're not building running fitness when you're swimming. Yes, you're building overall fitness, but there's some specificity of training that, that you're not getting from doing those types of activities. Namely you 're not getting that pounding that weight bearing force that your body's going to have to deal with when you get back to running, so when you get into running, you may feel like you 're still not where you want to be based on all the swimming and biking that you 've been doing. but the good news is if your aerobic base is is strong you 're going to adapt quicker you're going to come around quicker to where you're then able to run more with keeping your heart rate down so you know it's kind of one of those situations where um, you know if, if, if you're starting out right now with an aerobic base of a two, let's just, I, you know, not saying that you are, but just, just picking numbers randomly to try to illustrate a point. Um, if your aerobic base is a two right now, no matter what you're doing and you're starting there, you're going to be doing maybe more walking than running than you want to do from running. But if you get in the pool, you get on the bike, you can build that up a little bit, still feel like you're working, working a little bit harder, getting, you know, ticking, ticking some of those, those boxes of, of effort and, and hormones and, and oxytocin, oxytocin, all those types of things. And then, you know, four months from now, six months from now, you've built that aerobic base up to where maybe it's like a a four or a five even. Then when you go to run... Yes, there's going to be some adjustment period, but you're starting off a little bit farther ahead, right? You're starting off with a little bit more base underneath you, which is going to allow you to do a bit more running, uh, you know, maybe not have to slow down quite as much, do as much walking, things like that to keep your heart rate low, to continue to build that aerobic base, to continue to build that running specific aerobic base, continue with the the fat burning zones, things like that. So I hope that my answer makes sense to your question that absolutely made sense. Um, and yes, there's, there's logic there. I see the logic. I uh, agree with it. Just remember that when you switch back to running, or if you decide to switch back to running at some point, or at least adding running back into the mix a little bit more heavily, there's going to be an adjustment period that your body has to make because you haven't been running as much lately. So, Jay, thank you for the question. Now, two questions from Diana. First one: What has been your most favorite part about being a coach thus far? So, uh, great question, Diana. And, and without without a doubt, you know this is this is a slam dunk answer for me. It's it's the successes that that the athletes that I've coached have, have had. You know, it's it's the Boston qualifying marathons that have been run, the the PRs, the uh, breaking through plateau plateaus, you know, being, you know, folks that have been been dealing with injuries that, uh, you know, we've been able to make some adjustments, maybe focus on some exercises or adjust how they train uh, and able to stay healthy. But it's it's their wins. It's 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 been awesome. It's been awesome. You know, I I have said, I think, a couple of times that I get more nervous um, on race day for them than I do for me now. You know, like like I'm more concerned, maybe not nervous is the right word, but I'm, I'm more uh, excited when they hit their goals than when I hit my goals. You know, when I PR'd in my marathon last year, like it was cool, but it wasn't that big of a deal. But when, you know, when the athletes I coach have, have good days, have, have, you know, things come together on race day for them, like I'm stoked. I'm so excited for them. Um, and so, so that's been my favorite part is, is, and maybe part of that's the relationships as well. I mean, the relationships are awesome. You know, some of the folks I've, I've had a chance to work with, um, either, you know, current athletes still or folks that have, we've parted ways for one reason, one reason or another, but becoming friends, learning about them, learning about their families and, and, you know, their kids' names and their spouses' names and what they do for work and how, and just, and just legitimately making friends with them, um, that's been pretty cool too. So, so it's all been about the relationships and the successes that they've had. I mean, that's, that's why I do it. And I, I love it. I love it. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a great gig that I've somehow managed to, to, uh, create for myself. And, uh, certainly something that I plan on doing for a long time. As, as long as they'll let me keep coaching them, uh, I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, and then Diana's second question. What is your favorite flavor of flavor of candy corn? Come on, man. With the candy corn questions. Um, you know, I don't like candy corn and I like, are there even different flavors of candy corn? Like I thought just terrible was just one flavor. Um, and, and since it's all just made up anyway, like, I mean, I guess that makes it easy to make different fake flavors, but candy corn is disgusting. I, 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 I I have grown up to where I don't, I don't eat wax flavored candy anymore. So my, my favorite flavor of candy corn is a Reese's peanut butter cup. Candy corn. Get on out of here, man. Uh, next question. Thanks to thanks for the questions, Diana. Uh, from Michaela. So, I get that foam rolling should be done. I don't do it. But my question is, is there a difference and what might that be between the rollers? I've seen smooth ones, nubby ones, $10 ones at Aldi's and super expensive ones on Amazon. What's a girl to do if she, quote unquote, might... Want to get a foam roller and start doing said good thing. So um, honestly, Michaela, like like you're right. There's a lot of different different options out there. There's a lot of different foam rollers out there. Um, and there's a lot of purported differences between them. To me, it, it really, like the only thing that, that really matters when it comes to the foam roller, and, and even this might be, I might be, be overselling it a little bit, but to me, it's just all about the density. The, when I, not that I'm in the market for a new foam roller because I got one, I got a good one, and I don't think I'll ever need to get a new one, um, because I got a, a fairly dense one. Um, but it, it all just boils down to um, the denser it is, the the more it's going to dig in, the more it's going get to get into your your muscles and and you know kind of dive deep down in there with the massage action. The longer it's going to last. Um, although quite honestly, you could even get a a lower density one. And if you're just using it for yourself, you're probably not going to wear it out. Like when you're at the, when you're at a gym, when you got multiple people using it, using it all the time, like that's where you really want to get the the higher dense ones, density ones, or else you're going to be replacing them all the time. Um, and that's really it. You know, that's, that's, that's the name of the game to me. Of course, if it's going to dig in more, it's probably going to be a little bit more uncomfortable. So beware, you know, if you're, if you're a little nervous about dipping your toes in, you might want to get one of the, the cheaper ones. That's, that's usually a little bit less dense um, to kind of ease yourself into it. And then maybe eventually graduate to a, a higher density roller. Um, but you know, if, if I was just going to get one, if I was going to encourage somebody to get one, say so get, get the higher density one. Um, and you're good to go. The other thing to consider, the other consideration that I think is, is worth considering is the length of the foam roller. Now, you know, I have like, I think mine's like a 36 incher. Um, and, and honestly, for most things like you can get away with, I don't know, 12 inches, 18 inches, something like that, a a fairly short one. Um, There are a few things that having a longer roller is helpful for, you know, if you're doing two legs at once, if you're doing something um, like sometimes I'll lay on my foam roller with it, with a turn perpendicular. So basically it's running from uh, the booty all the way up, you know, to underneath my neck. So it's running basically along my spine and just kind of lay on it and help to open up my my chest, stretch out my pecs a little bit. Um, And you just can't do that with a shorter roller right? Like you, you need a roller that's at least, you know, about three feet probably to, to cover long enough. Maybe you could get away with a little bit shorter than that, but um, two feet's not going to be enough. And that's typically kind of the standard dimensions are, you know, kind of 12 inches, 18 inches, 24 inches, 36 inches, something like that. So you, you need to get the longer one to do something like that. So I went with the longer one just to have the, the option to do that. The downfall of the longer roller is that if you're traveling, especially if you're traveling by plane, little, you know, those don't exactly fit in the suitcase, right? You can, you can fit a a 12 or 18 inch roller into a carry-on, um, and then bring it with you, especially if you're, you know, running, planning to run, maybe racing, uh, when you're traveling, that can be a nice little thing to bring with you. As far as all the other bells and whistles, you know, there's, there's some tactile differences, obviously between the smooth one versus the more, um, you know, the ones with the, the different rough edges and knobs and things like that. Um, as, as far as like real physiological differences, I don't know that I've ever seen anything that actually like has determined that one is better than the other. Um, those are just, you know, kind of the the sales features, right? Like the flashiness, like, Oh, look at this one. It's got these knobs. It digs deeper. Well, no, it doesn't really dig any deeper. Um, maybe just marginally, but at that, like not enough to make a difference. Um, you know, the vibrating ones are really fancy. You get the the vibration while you're also getting the rolling again. I don't, I don't know of any like legitimate proof that it's any better than just marketing spin. So I say, you know, I think the one that I have, like I said, it's 36 inches. It's high density foam. I got it on Amazon. It's like less than 20 bucks. That would be the one that I would, that I have recommended, still recommend. Um, but you know, it's, it's up to you as far as, as what actually, you know, one that you want to get. Um, but don't overthink it and don't, don't break the bank on it. Um, cause they're just not in my, in my view, um, The simple one is going to work just as good as, as the fancier one, especially for somebody who's new to it, right? So just go simple and you're good to go. Um, next trifecta of questions from my man, Gary, Joe Collins, GJC first one. You talk about being fat adaptive on the show from time to time. And I was just wondering if you could give me a beginner's definition for being fat adapted. So yeah, Gary, Joe, happy to, to try to explain this as quickly and succinctly as possible. No, no guarantees that I'll succeed. Um, but basically be, becoming fat adapted as, as a runner means that you're allowing your body to be better suited to burn fat for fuel during exercise, as opposed to relying on the glycogen, um, you know, glucose stores that we have in our body. And the main reason for this is that, you know, as, as I've talked about before, I'm sure you're aware you know, you, you can run out of, of the glycogen and glucose pretty quickly. You know, you got a, an hour and a half, two hours, maybe of, of glycogen stores that your body can tap into. And that's when you need to fuel yourself. That's when you need to supplement your, your, you know, nutri- that's when your nutrition strategy comes into play, right? Cause you got to be refilling the, the tank because it's starting to run empty. If you can become more fat adapted, which is something I've been working on for gosh, three years now. Um, basically you, you, are you're, you're more you're better suited on race day to tap into your body fat stores for fuel. And, you know, even somebody who's, who's super skinny, which I wouldn't class myself in that, but I'm, I'm not doing too bad on the old, uh, you know, uh, beer belly department, but, uh, even somebody who's, who's real, real skinny has days worth of, of stored body fat as opposed to a couple hours worth of stored glycogen deposits. Okay. So, so in theory, maybe not practically, but in theory, if you're really well fat adapted, you basically can be bonk-proof. You can just kind of keep going um, because you've got all this energy stored up in, in, in you know in, in stored body fat. So that's kind of why I've gotten into it, and it's and it's a process. It's not something that, that happens quickly, um, and it's something that you know kind of being low carb, running running easy uh, is something that really helps with it because if you start running too hard, if you, as your intensity increases, your body turns to the glycogen stores because that's a quicker source of energy. You know, think of it as, as maybe like um, maybe a, a, a shoddy example, but hopefully it proves the point of something like, you know, kerosene versus diesel fuel and how quickly kerosene lights, but it, it burns out quickly versus you get a diesel engine going. And it might, it might take a little while to warm up and take a little while to get going, but once it gets going, man, it, it, it can, it can run forever. Right. Um, and it's the same thing with our body. So we can, we can process the, the sugars in our, in our body pretty quickly for energy, but it's short term. All right, and it's it's quick, high explosive, not high explosive, but you know it's 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 that high energy stuff, high intensity. You're burning mostly mostly carbs, mostly glycogen and glucose. Lower at lower levels of energy, lower levels. I'm sorry, lower levels of effort. If you can get your body to to adapt to burning fat, which again it's a process because it's not easy. Our bodies like to do what's easy, so it's, it likes to turn to the to the the stored carbs in, in our system. Uh, but over time, you become fat adapted. And and you're never going to be just burning fat or just burning carbs, but you know if if you can you can tilt that ratio to being predominantly fat burning with a little bit of carb burning going on as well, uh, you can kind of run forever at least until your your muscles give out, until you you require too much sleep. But from an energy production standpoint, less likely to bonk, more likely to be able to just keep on keeping on, which is kind of where I feel like I am right now. And it's a good place. It's a good place. So hopefully that sort of makes a little bit of sense on being fat adapted. Basically, it's just it's just training your body to not require as many carbohydrate, as much glucose and glycogen, or glycogen um, to fuel your body during exercise. Um, next question, also from GJC. Uh, Do you double up on your socks when you run? I usually use two pairs myself. No, I don't. I don't. I'm a, I'm a one-pair-of-socks kind of socks kinda guy. Um, kind of always been that way, I, you know, even, you know, growing up playing hockey, whatever, like one pair of socks. That's, that's all you need. You start doubling up two pairs of socks in there, and for me, more likely to develop blisters. So, you know, if two pairs of socks is working for you, my man, keep on keeping on. Uh, I'd rather wear a thick pair of socks than two pairs of thin socks just because... Uh, less likely, less less friction going on in there. Less likely of one pair of socks rubbing against the second one, developing some nasty blisters. So uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But for me, one pair of socks, always, always, ne- never even think about wearing two pairs of socks. Um, never, never wearing two pairs of socks for me. Uh, last but not least, update on the Run 2020 Challenge. So uh, yeah, this is a good update. Good update for me. Um, as this goes out on uh, Friday, uh, October the 30th, Uh, and obviously with October 31st being a Saturday, that's my long run. Assuming nothing crazy happens between when I'm recording this on the 29th, when you're listening to it on the 30th and when my run finishes on the 31st, um, I'll be somewhere in the neighborhood of 1800 to 1805 miles, uh, into my year, which you can do the the reverse math on that, which I guess would be subtraction. I guess, I guess math is still addition and subtraction, but you can, you can do the reverse addition which would be subtraction out of 2020, uh, 1805-ish. Uh, I'll have about 210, well, I guess 215 would be the exact math there or the exact subtraction there. Uh, but I have about, you know, somewhere between 200 and 220 miles left is what I'm trying to say uh, when November starts. So I'm doing great. I'm, I'm right on track, got two months, a little over 200 miles to go. Uh, and and again, exactly how this these next couple of days shake out, I don't know. But I'm going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 215 to 220 miles just for the month of October. So, uh, pretty good chance that by, you know, whatever, December 1st, December 2nd, December 5th, something like that, um, I'll be crossing the finish line of my 2020 miles challenge. Uh, But won't be stopping, won't be slowing down because there's also a pretty good chance at that time that uh, my, my craw team and I will be somewhere in... I don't know, Patagonia, maybe, somewhere in Chile, Argentina, something like that, making our way towards the South Pole, and uh, so I'm going to keep on, keep on running uh, as as our team makes its way around the world, so um, no plans on stopping, going to keep on keeping on, but, but you know, good Lord willing, unless something crazy happens, uh, we'll be finishing the, the Run the Year challenge with uh, about a month to spare, which... And I thought I might have a few days to spare when I got started. I hoped I'd have a few days to spare when I got started. So uh, definitely has been a, a positive experience and, and doing better than I thought I would be uh, 10 months ago. So thanks for the questions, my man. Uh, keep them coming. Next question. Speaking of keeping them coming, this is the first of many from Ms. Melody this month. Uh, why is my Beagle obsessed with squeaky toys when we are about to watch a TV show? I don't know. I don't know. Probably because you've you've rewarded that behavior you know you sit down to watch tv the the, the dog the dog brings a, a squeaky toy to you you squeak it a few times you throw it she brings it back and you've just kind of reinforced this behavior if you just ignore the dog she'd stop bringing you the squeaky toy so you know a little bit of of who, who is it, who was it that uh um i want to say maslow but it's, it's not maslow um but the uh the the uh oh, whatever something from from my sports psychology classes back in the day um that I had a great, I had a great sports psychology professor side note at middle Tennessee state university. Um, can't remember his name, but he was, he was awesome. Great stories. Took a couple of classes with him just cause I liked him so much. Um, but there was somebody with a pigeon and, and rewarded behavior and, and, um, learned behavior or something like that. Basically, I'm pretty sure that's what's happening with your dog without, without diagnosing your dog from a psychological perspective. Um, you've just re- rewarded the behavior of you sit down to watch TV. It brings you the squeaky toy. You throw it, bada, boom, bada, bam. Every time you sit down, that's what he wants to do is play. So, you know, if you just ignore it for a while, yeah, you'll probably be okay. Uh, next question, cutting into Melody's little string here. We got uh, my man John from Fargo. Uh, to piggyback on Michaela's question, how long should one actually foam roll slash use the massage stick slash etc. So, you know, John, this is one of those questions where there's no like real answer as far as this is the minimum dosage, this is the maximum dosage. It's like if some is good, more is better to a point. And then you get to a point where more isn't better anymore. Like more is just more. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of making things up here because I, again, I don't know of any real studies that have looked at, you know, if what is, is two minutes twice as good as one minute or twice as effective as one minute, or, you know, is five minutes twice as effective as two and a half. like, I don't know that any of those studies exist. Um, but but I think it's, this is one of those kind of common sense things. So if you've got five minutes, you can get on the foam roller. Then get on the foam roller for five minutes. If you've got ten minutes, that's probably better. You know, would, would I go? Would I encourage somebody to go much longer than ten minutes? I don't. I mean, it's not going to hurt anything. I don't know that you're going to get you know continued. Uh, yeah, I think you're going to start to see diminishing returns if you start going too long. So my, my thought is, you know, kind of each body part. If you can get about a minute that's pretty good. So a a minute on each calf, a minute on each hamstring, a minute on each quad, a minute on each glute, a minute on each hip flexor, you know, maybe start, if you you want to torture yourself with the the IT band, which I know there's plenty of advice that shows that the foam rolling your IT band doesn't help, Uh, but if you want to maybe get lateral hamstring, lateral quad, kind of that, that junction between where your quad and your hamstring hit your IT band, or between where your quad hits the IT band, and also between where your hamstring hits the IT band, that people say that, and by people, I mean like, physiologists say that, that can be more effective at, at preventing it band issues than actually rolling the it band itself uh, but you know you look at all that you get one minute on each leg on each of those body parts or even 30 seconds on each leg on each of those body parts you're looking at somewhere between five and ten minutes and i think that's that's probably doable if you're if you're focused on it if you're like me you get about a minute and a half in and then you just kind of sit on the damn thing and don't uh, don't do any more rolling and uh, then it ceases to become useful so, you know, some is good. If you can, if you only can get 20 seconds on each body part, then get 20 seconds on each body part, you know, whatever. Um, but I think, you know, somewhere between five and 10 minutes is like a pretty good sweet spot of not being overwhelming, not taking too long, not being a huge commitment, but still being pretty darn beneficial, still being pretty darn beneficial provided again, make sure you're moving it around. Don't just spend five minutes on, on your hamstrings, like get around, get get the quads, the hamstrings, lateral quad, lateral hamstring the inner thigh, if you want to kind of get into a Spider-Man type of position get the, the foam roller laying perpendicular to how it normally would be. So basically in parallel to your body position, you bring that one leg kind of up and out to the side, kind of roll back and forth on the inner thigh. Um, of course you want to start getting your back and your lats and things like that. You can, but you know, five, 10 minutes on your legs, most days, you're in a lot better position than I am. That is for sure. Another one from Melody piggybacking on Diana's question. Who has been your worst coaching client ever? And come on melody i'm not answering that kind of question and i don't think i've really had any bad ones i i really really don't um you know there's 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 been obviously a variety of people but you know worst come on that's that's a terrible question we're not answering that question because and, and again honestly like i can't like i can't think of really anybody that'd be like oh i, I hope that that net person never asked me to work with them again or or you know anybody that i fire in like no i've, I've had good relationships with the, everybody i think at least as far as memory memory serves so Um, no worse clients. Uh, Another one from Melody, you can only eat one thing for 30 days and you must choose between either of these two things, apple pie or morel mushrooms. Which do you choose? Um, I love me a good apple pie. No question about that. But this one's a slam dunk, morel mushrooms. Like no doubt about it. Um, One, because I mean, I haven't had morel mushrooms in like 15 years, 20 years, basically since I was in high school. I don't think I've had Morel mushrooms since I since I lived at home in high school. Um uh, because morel season in Michigan is like April and May. Um when I've been in college, you know. Um usually over by May. So I guess March and April really. Um so by the time I'd get home, like they pretty much weren't happening anymore. Uh and they're expensive AF, so I'm not buying them. Um but they're delicious. They're delicious. So, you know, I haven't had morel mushrooms in years. I can I can get an apple pie any old time. Um but also, you know, if I, if this is the only thing I'm eating for 30 days, like there's only so much you can mix up an apple pie. You can go, you know, a Dutch apple pie. You can go with a, a lattice work crust. You can go with a, like a covered crust. You know, you can go with, with raisins in it. You can add a little pecans. You can add a little craisins. Like you can, you can, you can spice it up a little bit and, and don't get me wrong. I love me some apple pie, but it might get a little bit old after 30 days, but with the mushrooms, I mean, I feel like you got a lot more flexibility in how you prepare them. That, uh, you know, could kind of keep it spicy, keep it, keep it, keep it fresh a little bit more throughout the the 30 days. Um, plus, I mean, they're just mm, so good. So good. So I will definitely take morel mushrooms. And if anybody wants to send me a 30, 30 day supply of morel mushrooms, my address is in my, is in the emails I send out a couple times a week. It says, it's an address on the bottom is my address. Feel free to send the morel mushrooms my way. Um, another question from Melody. Who do you like better? Chris or me? like, come on, man. This is tomfoolery with these questions. Next question from Michaela. What is your coaching strategy for someone who hates being told what to do asking for a friend? So this is is a good, interesting question here, Michaela, because I, I hope that, that my coaching style isn't me telling every, telling everybody I work with what to do, you know, and to some extent, I mean, it is like I'm putting workouts down. I'm, I'm, prescribing different mileages and things to do and whatnot, but it's, it's not like me unilaterally making these decisions. It's, it's talking to the person, right? It's figuring out here's what you're doing. Here's what your goals are, you know, here's the progression, but ultimately every workout, like it's up to them what they're going to do. I mean, I, I coach adults, right? I, I, the, the, the people that I work with, they're paying me, they're adults. If they're going to run, they're going to run. You know, if they're not like, like, I don't, I don't feel like it's my my Position to like bark at them and, and yell at them and tell them they have to do this. All right. Like they can't run for some reason. Life happens, whatever. All right. We circle back up. We get in touch. We communicate. We make the adjustments. All right. Here's the new plan going forward. Here's what you need to do. Um, and it's up to them to go do it. So, again, I mean, I guess in, in a sense, I'm trying to, I'm kind of telling them what to do, but they're the ones making the call. They're the ones deciding how it works. You know, if, if, Today, they're supposed, you know, today we're working on, you know, we're building up towards a, towards a marathon and today's supposed to be an 18 miler and they're just not feeling it. So they shut it down at 12. Awesome. Cool. Let me know what happened. How can we adjust? What can we learn from? And we'll, we'll readjust and, and, you know, next week, maybe we'll do an 18 miler again or whatever, you know, we'll adjust, we'll adjust downstream and still make it work. So it's a lot more back and forth. There's a lot more collaboration as, as far as how I like to work than me just saying here, I'm the coach. You're the, you're the runner. You do what I say. Now I have a few folks that like, that's kind of what they prefer. So that's just kind of how it works out. But it's, it's, I, I still see it as more of a collaborative process than me, you know, saying jump and them saying how high. So, um, I think that having somebody who hates being told what to do isn't really a problem with, with how I, how I work as a coach. But, um, I don't know. You'd have to ask if anybody that I work with really hates being told what to do and, and how that shakes out. But I feel like it works out pretty good when it's collaborative instead of instead of me being the uh, the uh, you know the end all be all when it comes to the the, the training dictator, if you will. So thank you for the question. Uh, next next couple from Rob. Uh, first one, in terms of training for longer distance races, say marathon distance or longer. In your opinion, should training runs be consecutive days on tired legs of maybe like seventy five percent ish of the race distance, or is it ideal to max out a long run around? the, the actual distance of the race. Um, Rob, I mean, it, it, ultimately, it depends, you know, like you could make an argument to go either way, um, to a point, you know, I I think you could make an argument for marathon distance for maybe 50 K to like run marathon distance or run maybe 50 K in training leading up to it. I think if you start getting farther than that, you start getting into 50 mile races, um, hundred k, a hundred miles, anything like that. and, And beyond, um, I mean, you're not gonna, you're not gonna really max out on a long run around, around that. Like, well, I'm just going to run a hundred miles for, for kicks because, you know, a month from now I got a hundred mile race. Like that's, that's, that doesn't make sense. Like, like the physiological impact that, that takes, the amount of time commitment that that takes, uh, that's probably not going to work. So that's where you're breaking things up. You're doing it. But even then you're not even doing 75%, right? You're not going to run back to back 75 miles to prepare for a hundred mile. Like you're talking about maybe back to back 30 milers or back to back, um, you know, a 35 or in a 25 or something like that. Um, And and, and you like, just because the amount of recovery time, the amount of wear and tear, like it's not worth pushing too much farther than that. Uh, but for something like marathon or half, or I'm sorry, marathon or a 50 K, you know, you could, you could, you know, I've had folks that like to do a 26 miler leading up to their marathons. Um, had folks that don't want to go past 18, you know, you can make it work either direction. So it just kind of, it just kind of depends on, on what kind of, what, what might work best for you even mentally, really, you know, like if, if, you're afraid that that there's a lot of gap between running 20 miles and running 26.2 miles because there is. Um, so if you're like, yeah, you know, I, I I would like to maybe run a little bit longer than that to kind of you know have a better idea of what to expect for the last few miles, then run a little bit farther, run at 23, 24, even 26 if you want to. Um, but if you're like, no, you know, if I'm if I'm confident. And the volume of training that I'm doing, maybe because you've done it a few times, so you, you know you know what to expect. You know how your body responds to these longer distances. And you know what? This this training cycle, I'm cool with, with quote, unquote, only doing a 22 mile leading up to my 50K. Hey, rock on, which is kind of where I'm thinking I might be for the 50K that I might be doing in December. I don't know. Well, to be determined on that. Um, but it just kind of depends on, on your experience, I think, um, on your fitness, on your schedule. There's a lot of variables in it. And, and I don't know that I would say that one is better than the other. I think they're both very much effective. Um, I think there's there's positives of both. I think there's potentially negatives, or maybe not negatives, but things to consider on both fronts. Um, but either can work. It just, it, you know, it's, it's a, it, I think also it's important to remember that in any distance that you're training for, it's more than just that last long run that matters. Like, what else are you doing that week? If that's the only run you're doing versus if you're running, you know, if you're running four other times that week, five other times that week, well, you know, let's, let's factor that into the equation as well. Um, so either can work is the moral of the story. Uh, second question from Rob, do you think virtual options will now be a permanent option in the post virus world of, r- of running? Um, I mean, I think whichever way, I, whichever answer I say here, there's an asterisk and here's the asterisk. Um, I think that, that virtual, virtual r- races are not new, right? Virtual races has been a thing for a while. Um, uh, plenty of people run virtual races every year. A lot of us didn't realize how prevalent they were because we were signing up for in-person races, right? Like we were looking for the in-person race day experience, but virtual races, virtual challenge are not something new. Um, and so I don't think they're going anywhere. I, I think they're still going to be around, but I don't think that it's going to be like it is now, right? Like when, when we can get those in-person races again, and we can do them safely and we can do them without worrying about all the social distancing stuff because the virus is eventually we have a vaccine or, or you know, whatever and the virus is, is not what it is right now. Um, I, I mean, I don't, I don't see races going, well, you can either run it in person or you can run it virtual. Like that's, that's not going to happen. I don't think maybe there'll be some races that'll offer those types of things, but, but in general, um, in-person races are going to be in-person races and virtual races will continue to be a thing for, as an option for, for some folks, but not like, I don't think you're going to see virtual Boston marathons every year virtual New York's virtual Marine Corps, virtual virtual. Like, I don't, I don't think so. Maybe I'm wrong. I've been wrong about everything about this whole damn pandemic so far. So I wouldn't surprise me if I'm wrong again here, but I, I do not think that that's going to be a regular piece of the puzzle. I think that, I think that there's going to be way too. I think that, I think that right now there's a whole lot of virtual race fatigue. I think that there's a whole lot of pent up demand for in-person races. So I just think that, that when it first, when races first start coming back again, nobody, with the exception of, you know, there's going to be one or two, there's always one or two, but basically nobody's going to want to do a virtual race when they can run in person. And I think that, that, um, I don't think there's a financial incentive for Boston, for New York, Chicago, Marine Corps, Disney. I don't think there's a financial incentive for them to do a virtual option. I think it's just more of a pain in the ass for, for no, no additional revenue. And let's not kid ourselves. Those races are businesses. Right, like they're they're not they're not in place to to just allow runners to come run. Like they're in there to generate profits, and I don't think there's much of a profit margin for them for virtual races. I think the reason that the, that the virtual races are happening this year is because it, it helps them stay afloat, helps keep money coming through the door. You know, for the races that have already collected their money, it allows them to say, "Hey, here's this option, and, and we already invested in these medals, so here's the medals." Um, and you know, this way we don't have to offer a refund, but. No, I don't see them going, well, you know, if you want, if you want to run grandma's marathon in, in 2022, you can, you can either come to Duluth to run it, or you can, you can sign up for the virtual option. Like they're going to say like, Hey, you can, you can come run it in Duluth if you want. You know, if you, if you get yourself picked in the lottery and you pay the money, come on down. Otherwise maybe next year, maybe next year. So that's, that's my thought. Who knows? Only time will tell whether uh virtual options continue to be a permanent thing in the running world or whether they kind of go back, not into obscurity, but back into, you know, something that some people do. Something that it's an option a lot of charities would do it. Um, but as a regular thing, I don't, I don't see it being any longer than it absolutely uh, has to be. Meaning as soon as races are back in person, pretty much across the board, you won't hear a lot of virtual races for a while. I don't think, uh, but thanks Rob. Uh, next couple questions from Thessaly. Two things. First book and guitar updates, please. This is, this is insert crickets sound effect here, uh, which we don't have, but if, if we did. You'd be hearing the crickets right here. Nothing on the book. Haven't even been playing the guitar much this month. I don't even know. And I don't even know why. Like this month has been a little bit busy. Uh, I had a sick kid at home a couple days, but, but you know, like, and there was one day I can't even remember what happened. There was one day that I was planning. All right. I am going to work on the book. Uh, going to get a couple thousand words written today. And then something derailed me. Um, it was, it was, it was like on the agenda for the afternoon. Cause I was like, I know somebody's going to ask me this damn question about the book. I need to say that I did something on it this month. Um, and it just didn't happen. Didn't happen. So one of these months I'm going to have a positive report. Um, but I, I mean, like I said, I didn't even play the I mean, I dabbled on the guitar a few times, but like no, no new songs, no new things, like no real progress made. Um, I don't know. I guess it's just been a month and I don't even, I don't even know why. I don't even know why, but it has been uh, second question from Thessaly. What is an easy to run in Halloween costume for a race or a turkey trot or a jingle bell run? So you all know where I stand on running in costume. And if you don't here, I'll tell you, I don't do it. It ain't my thing. If if it's your thing, cool. Like I, there's no judgment from me. In fact, I like to see costumed runners at races because it's, it's 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 fun. You know, seeing the creativity, uh, sometimes seeing the suffering because they didn't realize where it was going to rub or chafe or breathe or whatever, um, and go, huh, oh, oh, that's that right there, my friends, is why I'm just running in my running clothes, and you can enjoy that costume all you want. Um, but but that being said, like an easy to run in Halloween costume, like I don't know, or turkey trot or jingle bell run. Um, To me, I guess that, you know, the easiest costume are the ones that you can be most close to a quote unquote normal running attire. So maybe like a hat, maybe something that uh, is is some type of headgear, but that you're still able to wear the regular kind of like, you know, uh, some type of sweat wicking shirt, running shorts, and and not a whole lot of else going on to have the chafing issues or the overheating issues or the costume falling apart issues that uh, I've seen. I've seen all of those uh, from other folks on race day. So I think the easiest one would have to be Christmas time, right? It would have to be a Santa Claus hat, maybe a, a red shirt, uh, you know, black shorts or red shorts. And there you go. You're Santa Claus, right? I mean, you could go with like an, an elf hat and go with green and be an elf. Um, you go with reindeer antlers and then just Brown and be a reindeer. Um, but I feel like those are the easy ones, right? You know, maybe at, at Halloween you could do maybe at, at Thanksgiving, you could do, get something with a, 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 turkey on your head or a pilgrim's hat. um, but, but that's, I don't know. I mean, Halloween in theory, you have a lot of options because, you know, you can do like, it's not just one thing. Like you don't have to just be a pumpkin, right? You could dress up as whatever. So you could dress up as, you know, some runner. I saw, I saw somebody on, um, I think it was on Twitter that dressed up as, as Courtney Dollwater doll, doll Walter, however you say her last name, um, And it was like, it was brilliant. It was a brilliant costume that, that, you know, most people wouldn't get, but as soon as she was like, this is what I'm dressing up as for, for whatever, I was like, oh my gosh, that's, that's fantastic. You know, the basketball shorts, just the white t-shirt, like hair in a ponytail, like or in a bun or whatever, however Courtney wears her hair. Usually, um, it was perfect. So, you know, you could do something like that. I guess my first, my first inclination was to go all Wednesday Adams and be like, you know, what, what is your Halloween costume? Like, I'm a homicidal maniac. I'd be look just like everyone else. Um, I don't know if that's in poor taste or not, but I mean, that's that something like that, you know, just like, I'm I'm whatever, you know, dressed like a runner. Um, so you're just wearing running gear, right. You know, dressed like your favorite runner that, that wears the kind of gear that you would wear. And there you go. Done. Some elite runner. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I feel like the easy ones, the slam dunks is, is a Santa Claus hat. You know, especially at Christmas, for most people in, in a December Christmas time type of themed uh, Jingle Bell, Santa Dash, whatever the case might be, um, it's probably cold enough that wearing a hat, wearing a, even wearing a Santa Claus hat on your head, isn't that oppressive, right? It's not like it's going to make it that much more uncomfortable. In fact, it might even be something that is a necessary part of the attire. And maybe even wearing a Santa Claus suit might be a necessary part of the attire if there's snow on the ground and things like that. So I feel like that's the, that's the easiest one to default to. Um, other than that, be creative, but don't count on me being creative. It ain't happening. It didn't happen. But uh, thank you for the questions, Thesley. Always appreciate them. Uh, Another block of questions from Marcel. First question. I think there's five of them in a row. Here we go. Let's let's power through them. No problems here. Why do some dogs react unexpected when a runner or cyclist passes by? And what could be done preventatively against being attacked? So uh, when I first read this question, I don't know if this is what you're getting at, Marcel. When I first read this question, I was like, oh, you know, if somebody's out walking their dog, Um, and then you, you come up and pass them and the dog gets, gets, gets startled. Basically the dog dog is scared. Dog is alert. Uh, you know, not, not aware that you're coming and they get startled. And it's like, Oh, you like they, some dogs, you know, fight or flight, right? Some of them lash out, some of them cower away. Um, but that's just kind of the dog's reaction. And, and, you know, in that situation, I feel like, you know, the, the the best thing you can do is just try not to sneak up on behind a dog and and, and their, their owner, right? Make a little bit noise. Just like if you were, even if you're not going to pass on the sidewalk next to them, but just make a little noise, scuff your feet clear your throat say good morning before you get up to them um and and depending on, on who's walking the dog like that that might set them at ease too to to know that oh you know somebody's coming like you're not startling somebody by coming up from behind them. you just say hey good morning uh coming up with behind you with my dog or i guess they're the one with, i always run with my dog so i always think about that but they're running with their dog you're you're out there just or walking with their dog you're out there just running say so, hey you know coming up behind you just want to let you know uh good morning and you're out in the street, they're on the sidewalk. They, they can, the dog hears you, the dog turns around the owners at at, you know, more relaxed. The dog isn't sensitive. The owner's afraid. Um, so everybody just, you know, muted right there. But then I was like, well, maybe he means more of like, you know, a dog that's like just out in the yard or, you know, dog that's, that's laying on the porch and, you know, I go running by their house or riding by their house and the dog comes out at me. How do I prevent that from, from happening? Um, in that case, it's probably not so much the dog being startled, although I guess there still could be a little bit of that. But it's probably more of either the dog being territorial or the dog just being bored, you know. So if if, it's a, if a dog's territorial, it's it, you, you're on its quote unquote territory, even if it's not just right in front of the house, but maybe it's you know the dog considers it's block the territory. Um, so it's it's you know recognize you're like, Hey, there's a trespasser or whatever. The dog's kind of doing its job at that point. Right? Like maybe that's kind of, maybe it's supposed to be a watchdog. So it's kind of doing its job. Um, so just give it a wide berth, get off the area as quickly as you can. Um, but don't just like turn and run cause then the dog might chase you. So you just kind of, you know, like what I do is if a dog's coming at me, um, first of all, and, and maybe this is, this is not relevant, but like, I'm a dog person. Like I'm not really afraid. Like even if a dog is snarling and coming at me, like I'm really not that afraid. Um, I mean, I guess in certain situations I would be, but for the most part, like I've never, it's been a long time since I've really been afraid of a dog. Um, which maybe that's, that's an unhealthy, 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 uh, unhealthy approach to things. But like, if I see a dog coming at me or if if I'm running and all of a sudden I kind of sense that a dog is tearing at me from behind. Um, if I have my dog then that, then that creates a little bit more of a situation. Um, but if I'm out like on a long run, I don't have my dog with me. Like I'll just turn around and face the dog. And, you know, kind of get big, almost like what you would do, you know, if you saw like a mountain lion, like if you, if you saw the video, of the, the, the guy that came across the, the mountain lion cubs in, in uh, Utah a few weeks ago, that was making the rounds on the internet. Like just kind of get big, face the, face the the dog, face, face the animal, um, you know, kind of back away. Don't, don't tempt the dog. Don't, don't feel like, don't let the, the dog or in, the, in that case, a mountain lion feel like you're backed it into a corner you know, like, like, cause fight or flight. Right. Um, but if you're just kind of backing up, staying big, staying, not like you're trying to, to intimidate the dog, but just giving the dog something to think about, like, all right, the person sees me. It's not a threat. He's getting off my territory. You know, the dog, most dogs, and again, I'm a, I'm a dog fan. So take this for what it's worth. And I know it's not, doesn't, uh, 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 you know, relate to every situation, but most dogs aren't looking to go attack somebody, you know? Um, Again, there's an exception to every rule, but for the most part, they're not looking to, to get in a fight. All right, so for some reason, they're they're triggered. They're they're pr- being protective. Um, maybe they're bored, which is kind of the other thing that like just a bored dog is the dog that gets itself in trouble. You know, knowing knowing the, the n- dogs that I've had over the years, if if a, if a dog is is you know being trained and exercised and worked out and and you give some some mental stimulation once in a while as far as like training and things like that, uh, they don't ever tend to get in trouble. But a dog that just is kept out in the yard, chained up in the yard never has any stimulation, like they look for stimulation and, oh, here comes, here comes Marcel running, running or riding by us. Like, let's go, let's go. Let's see what happens. Like I need something to do. Um, and if that's the case, again, there's not anything that you can necessarily do other than just, you know, trying to try to give it a wide berth, try to stay away. You know, if you can, if you can, you know, kind of just face up to the dog and, and just, you know, talk, talk gently to it, um, whatever, kind of whatever the situation dictates. Um, but, you know, I've done those types of things and I've never really gotten attacked, I mean, I've had dogs come at me, but then they stop. I back up. They turn around. Problem solved. So, um, again, I know that's not that's not foolproof, um, and I'm not exactly sure which way your question was going, but I think it's kind of I think my first impression was probably not the right way. Um, but you know, just kind of of trying to stay calm. You know, I'm a big Caesar Milan fan, and you know, kind of uh, not getting excited, which then keeps the dog from getting too excited. Um, so just stay calm, stay big be kind of dominant yep. assertive, right? Like that's a, that's a, that's a, um, uh, or not dominant, calm assertive, be calm assertive. Um, and the dog's going to probably respect you. Hopefully respect you. Hopefully you'll stay safe. Of course you can always like carry something. We carry some pepper spray or things like that. If the dog gets too close and you can pop it with that. Um, but hopefully that's not, that's not a, a, a an issue to deal with very often. And then maybe the last bit while we're on the subject is if, you know, if, if it's the same route and you're always running by the same dog, that's always giving you trou- trouble, trouble, then just, you know, maybe change your route if it's at all possible, you know, go, go a different place, um, avoid that area. And you know, if you know that there's a dog there that's, that's not very friendly or that's very territorial or whatever the case might be, just try to avoid that area if you can't, if you can't. So, uh, good luck, Marcel. Uh, next question. Do you plan any virtual race this huge and fascinating for, for this huge and fascinating community? Would there be any common sense to collect money for miles for a charity purpose? So, um, like I said earlier, uh, Marcel, I think that I think there's a, a serious case of race, of virtual race fatigue right now. So yeah, no plans on doing any type of virtual event anytime soon. Um, a couple, w- w- when was it? When was this Days of Summer? That was two years ago. No, last year. Yeah, last year, summer of 2019. Uh, we did we did a Diz Days of Summer virtual challenge. I was raising some money for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. Um, that was pretty cool. Had some fun with it was maybe thinking about doing it again this year. And then everything went sideways and virtual races went crazy. And I was just like, yeah, we, the world doesn't need another virtual race right now. So, you know, give it a couple few years, things get, you know, kind of like Rob's question, let, let things get back to normal. Let, let virtual races, virtual challenges kind of fade back into the background again. And maybe we'll, maybe we'll make something like that happen again. Um, but I kind of feel like that should be like, I don't want it to be a, an every year thing, but a once in a while thing, pick a charity, raise some money. Yeah. I could see that happening again. So, so stay tuned, but. Not until not until virtual races, races die down a little bit will we will we have some type of of uh, dis runs challenge race whatever you want to call it again. Um, so eventually, eventually. Uh, number three question from Marcel: Are there any known differences of runners slash running style slash running ambitions between Americans uh, and Europeans and Africans, the Kenyans and Ethiopians? Um, no, I mean not that I'm aware of. I, I mean you know runners runners like to run at the elite levels. Runners like to to push themselves for for records and paydays and things like that um and so i mean i don't i don't think there's very much I mean, you know i i don't know i haven't heard anything but i can't imagine that i mean people are people right and and um yes there's there's always subtle differences and cultural differences and things like that but you know i think i think at the end of the day you know Professional runners are professional runners and they're doing it for their love of sport. They're doing it because they, they love to challenge themselves. Uh, they love getting paid for doing something that they enjoy doing. Um, and I don't, I, I doubt that it really matters where you come from, you know, and what, what your heritage is that makes that much of a difference. So I, I don't know, but I, nothing that I know of, that's for sure. Uh, number four, why is multi-sport, uh, playing? like, you know, playing other sports, soccer, tennis, whatever, uh, in addition to running so helpful, or is it not? No, I actually definitely think it's helpful, Marcel. Um, and the big, re- like the two big reasons are that um, one, it kind of helps us to build some other, you know, strengthen some other muscles, work our bodies in different ways, build some different energy systems. So, you know, you're just going out and running, you know, just regular running. That's great but you mix in a little stop and start and a little lateral side to side movement, things like that. You're working your body in different ways. That helps to build strength, builds coordination, helps to reduce injury risk because you're not doing the same repetitive motion over and over and over again. And I think that all those things, when you roll them together, when you're, when you're hopefully more likely to stay healthy, although you may have an increased injury risk and other things, right? You may have an increased injury risk of, of, you know, some type of impact sport or whatever the case might be. But uh, as far as running injuries are going, you're going to have probably a, a decreased risk of injury, increased overall strength, Increased muscular balance or body type balance because you're not just doing the same repetitive motion over and over again. Um, I think all those things combined absolutely are beneficial. Absolutely are beneficial. I think that that being a, a well-rounded athlete is a good thing for us as runners. Um, not, that we sh- not, not that we can't focus primarily on running, but mixing it up once in a while, something that I probably need to do more often and a lot of us probably would benefit from as well. Uh, last but not least, often when you talk to, uh, talk in your podcast slash interviews, you mention the 5k or 10k, is it kilometers or miles? Definitely, definitely, you know, the K is kilometers. Um, you know, and sometimes I might mix around the, the 5k and the 3.1, uh, 3.1 is 3.1 miles. It's the, the equivalent of the 5k. Um, but if it's a K, we're talking kilometers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I speak a little bit of metric system, so sometimes I might mix them up a little bit. Uh, but when I mention the 5k, am I disdain for it? It's, it's the 5,000 meters, not not my favorite race at all, but uh, thank you for the questions, Marcel. I know you recently joined, joined the crew and have reached out over email once or twice. Appreciate having you around and uh, hope hope that you'll continue to listen to the show and uh, you know, chime into some conversations in the Facebook group once in a while. And, and anytime you want to ask questions down the road, please feel free. Uh, next question from my man, Jason Dennis, when you run multiple marathons one year, what's the best way to determine which one you run faster or which one to aim for, uh, for a PR. So, um, you know, Jason, this is this is a, a question that not everybody is going to relate to because not everybody's running as many marathons per year as, as you are, my friend. Um, but I think it's a, it's a valid question. Even if you're just looking for, I'm just going to run one race, you know, eventually down the road, I want one race. It's going to be my goal race. I'm going to aim for that PR, that BQ, whatever the case might be. How do you determine the proper race? How do you determine the right, the right race to run? I think the first thing that people look at, which is viable and invaluable and something that should be looked at, is the course profile right? If it's, if it's up and down mountains the whole way, like, I'm not saying you can't PR in a, in a mountain race. Um, and by mountain race, obviously being a central floor, I mean, anything like that has rolling hills is a mountain race, right? Um, I'm not saying you can't PR in something like that, but you're not making it easier on yourself. So maybe you want to find something that's maybe a net downhill. Maybe you want to look for something that's a little bit flatter that has a little bit of, of, I do think a little bit of, of elevation change once in a while is helpful. You recruit some different muscle fibers. Your form changes a little bit. You, you dig a little deeper. You're able to coast a little bit on the downhills. Um, but do you want you know constant up and down the whole way? Probably not. So look at the look at the course profile. Look at the the races that you know kind of lend themselves just from a layout perspective to be a little bit faster. You know, um, another area that or another another factor that is of course at play and and uh, fairly common sense, fairly well thought about is looking at, you know, what the kind of anticipated weather forecast for race day might be, you know, again, not that it's foolproof, weather is, is always a variable and you never know what exactly what it's going to be like until the day of, because the forecast can, and, and often does change. But you know, if you're looking at a, at a Florida race in say January, February, there's a decent chance it might be pretty comfortable. If you're looking at a Florida race in August, there's a decent chance it's probably gonna be miserable. Right? So, you know, kind of looking at general weather forecasts, general weather patterns. There's a reason why there's a lot of races in the spring, a lot of races in the fall, because that's when it's not too hot, not too cold, kind of that, that sweet spot. But we've all heard of races, probably a lot of us have run races where the expected temperature or the expected weather and uh, the actual race day weather don't always line up, right? Unseasonably hot, unseasonably cold, it can happen. It's not foolproof there, but again, if you're, if you're trying to figure out, all right, what's, what's my race that I'm going to really try to hammer this year? You're looking at the elevation. You're looking at the profile. You're looking at what kind of weather is, is at least reasonable to expect. It could always go sideways, but what's reasonable to, to expect? The area that I think we tend to overlook that we might be wise to, to at least consider is not just what the weather's going to be like on race day and in the location of the race, of course, because you might be traveling somewhere and so that that you know can impact what the weather's going to be like, but also what the weather is going to be like where you live during the bulk of the training. So if if you're doing a spring race somewhere where you're like, oh yeah, the weather's going to be great, you know, it's it's always it's always beautiful in in you know whatever in, in Tennessee that time of year, um, it might be. But what's the weather like where you are in the preceding three or four months leading up to that? That may impact your training. You know, maybe you're training for a spring race, but you live in um, in Duluth. And you know, there's a pretty good chance it's going to be negative negative 30 degrees for a solid two months of that of that training cycle, and you're going to be running through snowbanks that are four feet deep uh, to to get your miles in. Not saying you can't do it. Not saying that that couldn't maybe put you in a in a great position to still be ready to PR in in that spring race, but it also might be tough to get the the caliber of training in that you would get if you were training through more of a, of a summertime to trade for a fall race. Okay. And vice versa, you know, for me looking at a fall race, like fall races are great because I'm training through the summer. Right. And so like, it's probably going to be cooler, even if it's a warmer day, you know, in, in Virginia or in Michigan or in, you know, wherever, if it's, if it's a warmer day for them seasonally, it's still probably gonna be a cooler day for me. Um, but do I like the idea of doing a bunch of 20 milers in July and August in Florida? I mean, not really. You could make an argument that I don't like the idea of doing a bunch of 20 milers anyway, and you wouldn't be wrong, but doing those in August to prepare for a September race, like, Oh, that's a little bit more tedious. It's a little bit more wear and tear. It's a little bit more difficult. So, you know, would I be more likely to to be in in peak shape by doing my 20 milers in, in August or doing my 20 milers in January or February in Florida? So that's something to to consider. What's the weather like not only on race day where the race is, but what's the weather going to be like where you live and train? and trying to optimize that for giving yourself the best chance to have good quality training runs leading up to this race that you're really going to try to push, hard, push yourself on. So lots of things to think about, um, but I, I feel like that's, that's the best way is to kind of look at all of those factors. What's the course profile? What's the projected weather going to be like for the race? What's the projected weather going to be like where I live uh, for my training? And then, of course, travel. That's, that's a part of it as well. If you're looking to, to travel to a race, you're going to travel logistics and, and all that kind of stuff and, and how that fits into your life. You know, that's, that's gonna be part of it as well. But you know, it's the moral of the story is there's not one best way to determine it's a confluence of factors, just like a lot of things in life. It's, it's not just one issue that's make or break. It's, it's a whole host of things, how it all, how the puzzle kind of fits together. That's going to give you your best chance to, 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 to be able to, to PR, hit your time goals. Um, and the sad thing is, is that you, you not, you don't know all the factors because you don't know what the weather's going to be like on race day. And that always can, can throw a wrench in even the best laid plans. But hopefully that helps you, uh, making your decisions for 2021, Jason. I uh, appreciate the question. Trifecta of questions from, uh, Western New York. My man, Tom, uh, first one, I just bought a headlamp for the first time ever. Can you share any tips or experience in using a headlamp? So, uh, Tom, honestly, like it's, and, and don't take this the wrong way. I don't, I don't mean this anything other than just being sincere. It's, it's not, Difficult. It's, it's pretty much foolproof, right? Like you, you put the thing on your head, you figure out where the button is to, or the button or the switch, whatever, depending on what kind of headlamp you have, uh, to turn the, to turn the light on. You might have a couple different settings. You might have like a high beam, a low beam, a flashing beam, whatever. Um, you know, you, you figure out what the, the click sequence is or, you know, how many, how many times you have to press the button, how far you have to, to slide the, slide the, uh, the switch. Um, you put it on your head, you fit, make sure you know how to adjust the the strap on your head. So it fits, it fits snugly, but not too, too tight. Uh, so it's comfortable not bouncing around. Um, and you're good to go. You're good to go. I mean, that's like, there's no real tips for it. Um, you just kind of got to, got to adjust it, play with it and, and figure out what, uh, what actually works best, you know, what's comfortable, but it's, it's pretty much foolproof. Um, I'm more of a knuckle lights fan myself anyway. Like, I just feel like that's easier, but depending on where you go, I mean, there's a time and a place where headlamps are going to be more appropriate you know, where you need a broader stream of light, where you need something that, that, is, that still keeps your hands free. I mean, even though knuckle lights basically keep your hands free anyway because it fits over the outside of your your hand, um, you know, they still might not be optimal given certain certain circumstances. But for me, the knuckle lights are my go-to. Um, not just because they're a former sponsor of the show, but because I, I just like them better. They're more comfortable to me. or They're, they're less uncomfortable. Like a headlamp is uncomfortable. Um, but, you know, they, they work, and there's a reason lots of people use them. All right? And again, they're not difficult. So, you know, you may have, you may be able to play with a little bit of the angle. You know, some of them have a, an adjustment that allows you to, to focus the angle of the beam, you know, farther out in front of you, more down in front of you, you know, more closer to you, farther out in front of you. Um, but you know, it's, it, it, there's not a tip or experience with that. It's just figuring out the right mix for you, depending on where you're running. Are there street lamps? Is it a dark trail? Like what's going on? How much light do you need right at your feet? How much do you need to see out in front of you? Um, but that those are easy to adjust, right? Not, not difficult, not difficult. So don't overthink it, my friend, embrace it get out there and get your miles in uh with these these shorter days that that headlamp's going to come in handy for sure uh number two question from tom i have noticed that a lot of elite marathon races this year have been on loop courses of about four to six miles in length what do you think are the advantages and disadvantages of such marathons and half marathons um from a from a runner perspective i don't think there's any real difference. Um, of course, you know, maybe, maybe you have a few less Hills or, or things like that because, uh, you know, a longer course or a point to point course, you might have more, more issues with, with those types of, of things along the way along the race. Um, but you know, for the elites that are racing the elites, there, there is, there's as much about racing each other as they're about the course, right? Cause everybody's running the same course. So it's, it's, they're playing off of each other. So maybe somebody is stronger on the hill, stronger, on the downhill, stronger on the flat. So, you know, ha- has some of those advantages. Um, but in general it's, it's, the race is the race. The race is each other. There's no, there's no major things there. Um, but from the, the actual setting up the race itself, there's a, a whole host of logistical advantages of having a looped course instead of a big, long course to cor- or, you know, point to point type of situation. Um, you know, having, have, having fewer streets to cut, to close down. Um, ha- you know, that's, that's a big one, uh, for these, these elites that are, that are the only ones running the race. It's easier for television coverage. Right to to not have to they can set up some 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 stands there, as far as for the cameras. Obviously there's gonna there's probably gonna be a camera like on a on a car a camera truck something like that. But you know some of those those wide shots they they can use the same camera for multiple wide shots instead of just you know having one at mile twelve and have to have another one set up at mile sixteen another one set up at mile twenty two you know, like like they can they can just have you know a couple of them set up they're good to go. Water stops aid sta- aid stations things like that. Again, easy peasy. You know, there's going to be one at at this spot of the course. Every time you come around, every time you lap, there's going to be one here and there's going to be one there. Done. Easy. Um, So, so all the logistical advantages and really no disadvantages from, from the the race perspective, because the reason that they're doing this is because, you know, it's a field of what, 20 people, you know, something like that. It's not like they've got 30,000 runners running where it would be so congested. It would be a freaking nightmare. Um, That's, that's why some of the, 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 elite marathons that have happened this year have are on the smaller courses instead of the point to point because there's not also 50,000 other runners running that day. Um, so no real disadvantages. It's just a, it's just a logistical, it's logistically easier to set it up that way as far as I can tell. I mean, I have no inside knowledge on that, but that would be those. That's the only reason I can think of that. You'd do it that way. It's just logistically easier. Um, and again, when you got 20, 20 elites running or whatever the number is, but it's not many, Um, you don't have to worry about the course getting crowded or things like that. Like it all just kind of takes care of itself and you run a few loops and you're done. Bada boom, bada bam. Hopefully you get a payday because that's how they're making their money. Right. Uh, last but not least, speaking of payday, what is your favorite Halloween candy? That is not a Cadbury egg. It's not a payday, but a payday is good. Payday payday is a very underrated candy bar that there's a, it's a good candy bar period. Uh, but definitely my favorite. I mean, I, I kind of alluded to it this morning or this morning. It feels like this morning earlier in the, in the episode, uh, Reese Reese's Reese's cups. I mean, Reese's peanut butter cups is, is uh, uh, about a one candy. I, it doesn't get a whole lot better than that. Um, I mean, there's other things that are contenders for the crown. Snickers are good. Uh, paydays are good. Almond joys mounds. Um, uh, you sense a theme here, something chocolatey. You know, I'm at a point in my life where I don't want Skittles. I don't want Starburst, I don't want all that sugary crap. I'll take something with chocolate in it though. Um, But, you know, Reese's, Reese's cups or, you know, the Reese's, uh, pumpkins or the Reese's Christmas trees, you know, the different holiday versions. Um, that's, that's good candy. That's good candy right there. And Cadbury eggs are, are, I guess, potentially better than candy corn. If you can scrape out all the crap inside the egg and just eat the chocolate because it's chocolate and chocolate's good. Uh, candy corn, terrible Cadbury eggs, one step better than terrible, but still pretty bad, pretty bad. Uh, thank you for the questions, Tom, as always, uh, another one from, from Rob, uh, for slow runners like myself, I see argument of time on feet training versus miles. I understand said distance is required for event, but I read, I've read that, uh, too long on feet during training may promote overtraining. What's your take? So, um, Rob, it's, 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 again, it's another one of those questions that there's, there's not a wrong answer. Um, there's just wrong way. Like, I don't know. to say that there's wrong ways of doing it. Um, but, but both can work. Both can fail. Both can, both can cause overtraining. So, you know, telling somebody to run for three hours versus telling somebody to run 20 miles, um, you know, when it, when it comes to training and preparing for a race, one isn't better than the other. They both work. Um, and and I'm not even necessarily one that that believes that you can't run longer. I mean, like I said, I've had, I've had folks that have, have asked to, to run for 24, 25, 26 miles leading up to their, their goal race. That's fine. That's fine. And that flies counter to all that, that other, uh, you know, information you can find out there about you don't want to spend too much time on your feet because in the recovery process is too long. Blah 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 blah. Um, I mean, yes, ish, but again, what's what is the rest of the training like? There's, the, focusing too much on the long run forgets all the other stuff that's important, right? And so, you know, maybe that's too much if, if the rest of the week is is crazy packed with hard workouts and um, you know lots and lots of miles. But if you if you if you kind of are managing. The mileage demands, managing the requirements a little bit, whether your coach is doing it, whether you're doing it for yourself, um, both options can work. Both options can work. Um, you know, and I've had, I've flip-flopped with, with certain athletes as far as doing distance, distance targets for the workouts, you know, run, run 18 to 20 miles versus run, you know, whatever three hours plus, or three hours to three and a half hours or whatever. Um, and, and obviously, you know, 45 minutes to 60 minutes or running, running three to five miles or what you like, like i I've, I've I go back and forth. Um, sometimes people have a preference, one or the other. And if they do great, you know, sometimes I'll do one, like I'll switch from miles to time, especially for, for some of my athletes that struggle to run easy because they're like, all right, I just have to get, th- I have to get my four miles in and then I can get on with my day. But if I tell them to, you know, and so then they end up running them at 8.30 pace, you know, just making up numbers here, but you know, maybe I wanted them closer to 9.30, 10 minute pace, but they end up running at eight 8.30 pace um, and end up not getting the benefits of the easy run, right? They're pushing it too hard, but they're not pushing it hard enough to get any benefits of speed work. They're just not getting the easy runs. So then I tell them, Hey, run for 40 minutes, run for 40 to 45 minutes, run 40 to 40 minutes to an hour. Well, then they're going to be out there the whole time. So they can't speed through it. So you know, it makes it a little bit easier for him to just slow down, keep that pace at an easy level, keep it where we want it to be, um, and, and get the benefits by changing the mindset. So, you know, I kind of feel like that's, that's where I, where I, where I differentiate between time on feet, you know, training for running for a certain amount of time versus covering a certain amount of miles is it's just, if one seems to work better for you mentally, go with it, but you can be Properly trained using both methods, you could be overtrained using both methods. You could be undertrained using both methods. So it's it, again, I mean, kind of like your your question before about the the longest of long runs. Um, it's more to it than that. More to it than that. So zoom out, see the big picture, and kind of use that to figure out where that sweet spot is in terms of time on your feet, in terms of longest miles run, um, and finding the right balance so that you're not winding up overtrained as a result. Uh, but thank you for the question, Rob, and hope all that kind of makes sense and works together a little bit uh, to help you put your put your training together. Uh, now it's time for Mona's block of questions. This is a, a regular occurrence the last few months and certainly, uh, love getting all the questions from Mona. So here we go. First one. Do you let the snot run while you're running or do you keep wiping the thing? Feels like the skin is going to come off by the end of the, of a, of a, run. Any suggestions, especially with the cold coming and, uh, the runny noses being a, a bit more of a struggle. So, um, I get two words for you, Mona. Snot rocket. Snot rocket. Uh, there's, there's no taking a Kleenex with you while you're out on Correction. There's no taking a Kleenex with me while I'm out on the run. If that works for you, hey, you do you, boo. Um, but I am not. I, I ain't got time or energy or effort to be lugging around a, a snotty snotty rag and wiping my nose with it. No, 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 no. We are pinching one nostril. We are giving a forceful exhale out of the other one and clearing the pipes that way. And if I got to do that once, twice, a dozen times, a hundred times, whatever, we're we are clearing the pipes as often as they're needed to on the run no tissues required. All right. Now, if I'm running with a bunch of people, you know, he's got to be aware, right? You, you, nobody wants to be running next to the guy blowing the snot rocket that ends up with the snot with, with the, uh, the missile strike on the, on the leg, right? Like nobody wants to be that guy. And I hope nobody wants to be the guy delivering the strike. All right. I don't want to, I don't want to hit my partner, Kate with, uh, with a snot rocket during one of our runs. So if I'm, if I'm blowing her direction, you know, if I'm clearing that nostril where it might get in her on, on her or in her way, um, then we're just kind of blowing it in my hand, shaking it out, just whoop, snapping it. Uh, it all comes off, wiping the hand on the sh- on the shorts. Good to go, back in business, clean pipes, can breathe again, no snot running down my face. Um, no factor, no factor. So I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm about the least germaphobe person there is. So maybe that uh, is rubbing a few of you the wrong way, but that's what I do. Again, if the, if the, the Kleenex issue works for you, or is that something that that you uh, you know subscribe to? I'm not going to tell you you can't do it, but I'm going to say that snot rockets are way easier. Just <laughs> good to go. Mm. And 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 for the record, like the feeling of blowing a good snot rocket and just just boom, like I don't know. I mean, maybe this says something. It definitely says something about me, but that's just that's just a good feeling during a run. Just hmm. Mm. good stuff. Good. Wow. That really, that took a turn, didn't it? Yeah. Next question from Mona. Do you take supplements as far as multivitamins specifically for active lifestyle, you know, like zinc B12, vitamin D or calcium? Uh, just, just curious. So, um, I used to be like, yeah, I don't take anything, but I, I can't really say that anymore. Cause I do. Um, I, it, but I'm not like perfect. I'm not meticulous about my, my supplementation. Uh, but I take a, a, at least one, sometimes two, uh, pills of vitamin D most days. Um, because I've, I've heard a few things and this is all just kind of, you know, not like super, uh, rigorously scientifically studied, but I've heard some things about vitamin D and what it does to the immune system. And specifically in the world of COVID, it it was something that was on, I think it was radio lab a while ago where again, I mean, it's all just circumstantial, but it's one of those, like, it doesn't hurt me to take a little bit more vitamin D. Most people are vitamin D deficient anyway, or at least on the low end of the scale. Um, so supplementation is a good thing. Um, but it was basically saying that, that they were studying a homeless population in, in, I think, Seattle, you know, kind of in the early part of the, the COVID crisis. And they were like, oh, man, this is going to be it's gonna be terrible because all these people at the shelters and, you know, tr- like we got to give them shelter. But at the same time, now it's people in close proximity and, and the spread, um, yada, yada, yada. But then, they, you know, during the day, they'd, they'd release them from the shelter. They'd be out on the street. They'd be out in the sun all day. Uh, and then they'd come back to the shelter. And there was like zero cases of COVID transmission while they were there. And they're like, this can't be right. Like our city is, is you know, At that point, like, you know, really struggling There's COVID everywhere. And so they started like actually testing people for it, even though there were no symptoms anywhere. And I don't remember what the population number was, but it was, it was high. Like, I mean like half, maybe more than that. Don't quote me on that, but I feel like that was about the number. Like it was like, like I'm listening to this and going, holy crap. The number of people that tested positive for it, none of them were symptomatic. All right. And, and again, I don't want to draw any, any, any firm conclusions here, but when, as soon as I heard that, I was like, yep, we're, I'm, the whole family's taking, taking vitamin D now. You know, I think I had started taking it before then. Um, but that's when we got, you know, gummies for Addison and, and Rebecca is afraid to swallow pills. So she takes gummies as well. Um, but we got, you got them, their, their vitamin D gummies. We got me, my uh, vitamin D pills and just every day, take them, take them. I don't care if you don't like them, take them. Because if, if there's any correlation, if there's any resistance to improving your immune system, Uh, And, and, you know, either eliminating the, uh, the, you know, hopefully being asymptomatic if we got COVID or at least just being more on the minor scale of things, maybe being, you know, more immune, not immune, but having a better, you know, stronger immune system, being able to fight off the flu or upper respiratory infection or anything like that Um, because of taking vitamin D, good to go good to go. So I do still supplement with vitamin D. I also try to get outside most days, but it doesn't always happen. But you know, again, I thankfully I live somewhere where the sun is the thing. Um, and it's, it's warm enough that I can be out there without being covered up in the wintertime months. Um, and I do, you know, out you know running without a shirt most days, although I guess most days I'm running before the sun. So that doesn't matter. Um, but you know, get out, work in the yard, get out, do pull some weeds uh, right now, paint the damn house, like try to be outside in the sun, get a little of vitamin D that way, but I still supplement as well. So I take vitamin D every day. Um, I take a multivitamin some days when I think about it. Um, I take some, some algae, uh, algae pills some days uh, just to try to you know, get more vitamins, more greens in my diet because I don't uh, eat enough green food sometimes. So try to supplement a little bit there. Uh, and then the other thing that I take is vitamin C on a regular basis. Uh, and, and by that, I mean, every time I fill up my water bottle, I put a little scoop of vitamin C powder in there, a little bit of sea salt as well. I don't, I don't think you'd call sea salt a supplement, uh, but I mix that in with my water. Um, and take, you know, about 3000, whatever my, milligrams of, of, uh, vitamin D or vitamin C per day. Uh, and I guess, you know, somewhere between 5,000 and 10,000 milligrams of, or whatever it is. I see whatever the, the, the dosages of the, uh, the vitamin D whether I'm taking one or two pills of those per day. Um, just to try to keep that immune system intact. Uh, because you know, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Running is a stressor. Running can wear down the immune system. Uh, and ain't nobody got time for being sick, especially, uh, with COVID. So if, you know, if we can tilt the odds in our favor, just a little bit around our house, vitamin D across the board, vitamin C for me, multivitamin, uh, and some algae as well. Um, but that's it. That's it. Nothing, nothing fancier than that. Um, next question from Mona, my running shoe is scraped only from the right heel. I consciously try to be mindful of my foot placement, but how do you practice uh, the foot striking correctly while running? I never thought I was a heel striker. So, um, Mona, one thing I would, I would, say before I really get into your question is don't necessarily mean that you're a heel striker just because you're, you the right heel is a little bit worn down. It could just be from swinging your foot through. If your foot is just rubbing just real lightly on, on the, the swing through every time, um, that could be causing the the heel to be worn down a little bit, even if you're not striking on the heel, when, when your legs swinging underneath your, when your foot's first contact in the ground. So, um, so don't read too much into it. I mean, it's, it's a good piece of information. It's something to look at. The wear pattern on your shoes to try to figure out, you know, how you run and things like that. But it's it's not necessarily if it's a warning, there it doesn't mean that that's the spot that's striking the ground first. It could just be, you know, how you how you how you run it could be scraping the ground a little bit. It could be how you walk in them when you're not running. Because um, that's something I notice. I when I when I walk, I drag my heels a lot. Um, so maybe there's that. I don't know. I don't know. Just something to think about. But as far as how to change your your running form. Um, this is one of those situations where I, I feel fairly strongly that if it isn't broke, don't fix it. Okay. If if you're not having injury issues, excess soreness, excess aches and pains, lots of niggles. Um, I wouldn't be worried about changing my form just because I'm noticing that there's a little bit of extra wear on the heel of my shoe. All right. Um, now, if you're seeing a bunch of other, other signs and symptoms or having a bunch of other issues along with that, then maybe that's a clue that like, maybe you are heel striking a little bit more and maybe you want to focus on, on shortening your stride a little bit. But if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So if you're running good, running strong, not having any issues, keep on keeping on. Now, if you're going to try to switch up your form, um, it's, it's all about being conscious. I mean, it's all about really being focused and thinking about what you're doing, which is, I know you say you try to do that. So you're probably doing a better job than you're giving yourself credit for, but you just you have to be aware. You have to be aware, you have to be focused in tension and over time and over time for a period of months, your body will develop the new habit. But you know, if, if you are, let's say you are heel striking right now, um, because that's just kind of what feels natural to your body. That's going to continue to feel natural about it until you break your body of that habit and create something else that feels natural. Um, and again, it takes months and months to do that. Uh, when I switched from being a, a, definitely a heel striker, um, definitely, and again, something that I don't mention as much as I should, but it's not that heel striking is a problem. It's where your foot hits the ground in relation to your body that can cause problems. So if you're landing with your foot out in front of you, you're probably heel striking. And that's the problem. If you're landing with your, with your foot basically directly underneath your body, it really doesn't matter if you're heel striking or not, because you're landing in that position where there's a lot more room for error and I'll not get too biomechanically into the weeds here Um, but that's, that's something to consider as well. Uh, you know, when I say heel striking is a problem, it's when you're striking out in front and it's almost impossible to midfoot or forefoot strike when your foot is landing out in front of you, just again, from a biomechanics perspective. So you just have to be focused on trying to land underneath your body, try to shorten your stride a little bit. Um, but again, without going too far in the weeds from reading your question and from, you know, having some correspondence with you over the last few months, I don't get the impression that you need to change your your stride. So I wouldn't worry too much about it. I wouldn't worry too much about it. Um, unless there's some symptoms that are going on that I'm not aware of. Um, just do what you're doing because I don't think it's broken. Um, another question. Last question. Do you do costumes on Halloween? What's your family going to be? You guys going trick or treating? What's, what's the plan? So, um, I am not wearing a costume this year because I don't wear costumes anymore. Um, I am, I am a fuddy daddy. I am that grouchy. I am that grumpy curmudgeon old man. Um, I am get off my lawn. Um, I'm not wearing a costume. I, am I, I, not going to say that I'll never wear a, you know, never dress up for anything again. I'm sure that at some point a certain six-year-old might bat her eyes at me and, and maybe get something to happen. A certain not six-year-old, maybe, maybe could bat her eyes at me and get me to wear a costume for, for some reason down the road. Um, but trick-or-treating through the neighborhood. Yeah. That's not a good enough reason. Not a good enough reason. So, um, I'm sure I'll be, I'll have to walk, walk around with, with the family when we go trick-or-treating this year. Um, When we go, when Addison goes trick or treating this year. Um, but I will be, I will be dressed in my Saturday evening best, which means that I'll put a shirt on and I'll have some running shorts on uh, and I'll have my flip flops on and a hat on and, uh, that's it. And that's what I'll be. I'll be, I'll be myself for Halloween again this year. Um, Addison's going as Evie from the descendants, which is the, uh, the evil snow queen's daughter. Who's now a good guy. I don't know. Descendants is a thing on Disney plus for those of you that have, uh, you know preteen aged children you may be aware of that um and we are we are going to well we Addison is going as Evie this year um and I'll just be eating some of her candy after she goes to bed on Halloween night so win win and win I don't have to dress up I still get some candy everybody wins in that situation but uh thanks for the questions this month Mona appreciate you all right here we are where are we, where are we at time wise we are at uh oh look at look at us we are moving along not even an hour and a half yet And we only have one, two, three, four, five questions to go. Y'all, I thought this might be a three-hour marathon. Looks like we might be uh, coming in under the two hours and 13 minutes of last week. Look at me, just flying through. Flying through the questions this month. Bring it on. Bring it on. Uh, Next question comes from Debbie. Uh, I I think that's the next question. Yes. That's the next question from Debbie. Uh, are you still practicing intermittent fasting? I started about six weeks ago and I'm finding my long runs to be slower. I feel a bit sluggish. I usually end up breaking my fast mid run. I would like to get to that point where I can, uh, run long, run long distances, fasted any tips. So yes, Debbie, I'm still intermittent fasting. Uh, pretty much been doing it for three or four years now. Um, and, uh, and, and here's, here's the tips for you. All right. Um, you're still new to it. Your body's still adjusting, right? Uh because ultimately what happens, you know, going back to, to Gary Joe's question earlier about fat adaptation, you know, when you're running intermittent fasting when you're running in a fasted state, um, you're kind of trying to force your body to utilize more body fat for energy, right? Especially for the long runs. So if they get out to to the really longer, you know, two and a half, three hours, three hours plus time frame. Um, it makes sense that you're feeling sluggish as you run. It makes sense that you're run out of energy that you feel like you need to, to break your fast for something because your body hasn't figured out yet how to really use the, the fat for fuel. And especially if you're not like really focused on heart rate training, like you're, you're kind of putting yourself behind the eight ball. All right. That said, I'm not, I'm not trying to discourage you away from it. I'm not trying to force you into heart rate training or force you into a, a low carb diet. All those things are options. All those, those things kind of can tend to work together. Well, you know, low carb, intermittent fasting, heart rate training, they work really well together, but they can all work independently of each other. Okay. So you don't have to do all of them at once. You can pick one, you can pick intermittent fasting as something that you're working towards and and trying to do. The thing is, it's going to take longer for your body to adapt, which is okay. Fine. Not a big deal. And and honestly, this year with, with the dearth of races going forward, um, at least in the short term, not a bad time to take a step back and focus on training fasted and how that working on, on getting your body to be more fat adapted it can be very beneficial to you when races come back. Um, so my tip would be, you know, you're, you're slowing down, which is good. Keep doing that because when you're running slower, when you're running at an easier, easier level of effort, slower pace, your, uh, body will get better at using body fat for, for fuel, which is what we're trying to do here. Um, and my other suggestion would be to shorten the distance of your long runs a bit you know, if, and I'm going to make up numbers, but you know, just play with, play along with me here. You know, if if you're doing 14 mile long runs and say you get to, you know, nine or 10 miles before you really like, Oh my gosh, I just can't anymore. And I need to break my fast. Well then focus on running eight miles, eight or nine miles for your long run, which is a a pretty decent step back. Right. But, but focus on what you can do. And then almost like you're, you, you know, building your fitness from, from square one, you're kind of building your fitness in this fasted depleted state from not from square one but not at 14 miles either, right? So you, you run what you can. Run to seven or eight miles and call that a long run for a while. And then, you know, a week or two down the road, bump it up to nine. A week or two down the road, bump it up to 10. Then take a little cut back week, go back to eight for a week. Then back, bump it up to 10 again. Then up to 11. And build your way back up over the course of a few months to where you're able to do the, the 14 miles that you could do right now if you weren't running fast at You know what I mean? So you kind of have to build yourself back up because you're, you're I mean, not basically you are, you're training your body in a different way than what you had been as such. You can't, you can't expect that you can do the mileage that you were doing before you started running after intermittent fasting. Does that make sense? Like, you know, you're, you're, you're asking your body to do the same thing, but you're stacking the deck against it by not fueling beforehand, before your body has been able to start to adapt to uh, burning more body fat for, for fuel during your runs. So, um, you know, try to, try to reset a little bit, keep it running easy, run a little bit shorter, build back up. And you might find that that, you know, it won't take you too, too long. But again, if you're doing, if, if you're only doing intermittent fasting, it might take a little bit longer to get there, but you can get there, you can get there. And, and I'll tell you what, when you do it, it, it's, it's makes life a lot easier on race day when then you don't have to, to fuel as much and you get a lot bigger kick from the fuel uh, when you do take it on, you know, certain long runs or races or things like that. So stay the course. If this is something you really want to do, Debbie, because it takes, it takes time. It takes time. Um, you know, and, and, you know, it wouldn't be surprised if it's a couple more months before you really feel strong, if you stick with it. All right. And not that you have to, but just recognize it's not, a, it's not a quick fix. It's not something that's overnight. You know, if it's working for your shorter runs, great. Longer runs just take a little, th- take a little more time to develop because you're going to run out of that glycogen your body's still trying to figure out how to switch over to the fat stores and it just takes a while. It just takes a while. So thank you for the question, Debbie, and good luck. Keep us posted. Uh, next question from Nicole, uh, any tips or exercises for better posture? Specifically, I would like to stand up straighter both while running and generally I'm always so slouchy. So, uh, Nicole, this is one of those things kind of like Mona's question about the gait, where it's just all about being conscious of what you're doing, right? Um, although I guess it's different than Mona's question because I think there's something that, that's worth improving. Even if it ain't broke, this might be one that's worth fixing, but you know, just like changing your gait requires a lot of focused attention to where your foot's landing and how you're running. Um, improving your posture, both in running and in daily life is a lot about paying attention to what you're doing. Right. And so maybe it's something as simple as quote unquote simple as setting, setting a reminder on your computer, setting a reminder on your phone to pop up every, whatever, every hour, check your posture. So you get, you, you get slunched over, you're typing at the computer and then this alert pops up. Oh, yep you know, shoulders back, chest up, uh, sit up straight, you know, all that type of good stuff. Uh, and then you, you, over the course of the next hour, you get hunched down again. When you're thinking about it, try to remember to to correct it, but then you get that alert again, pops up. All right. Yep. sit, Sit back up, correct the posture. And eventually over time you keep correcting enough. It starts to become more second nature. Right. Um, you know, I I've heard of, of things for like, for when you're walking to have cues. So every time you walk through a door frame. You know, whether it's the door of your office, whether it's the, door, the front door of the house, whether it's the bathroom door, like whatever. Anytime you walk through a door frame, just use that as your cue to like improve your posture again: shoulders back, chest up, head up. Um, and again, you do that enough times—not not just in a couple of days, but weeks and months of doing that—it starts to become more natural. It starts to become more automatic. You don't have to think about it anymore. But at first, anytime you're starting a new habit, anytime you're trying to correct a, a maybe a, a bad habit of slouching. Um, you know, it's gotta, it's gotta be something that gets constantly reinforced until it becomes automatic when you're running. Maybe every time your, your watch beeps at you or vibrates at you for, you know, crossing a mile. Oh, the, the, the watch has beeped. Let me double check my, my, uh, posture. Let me get, get up straight, sh- uh, shoulders back, chest out, all that kind of good stuff. Um, I know that they also have, they, whoever they are, they have, um, little devices, little things that you can wear that kind of help to pull your shoulders back, help to keep your your chest up, things like that. Um, I don't know if they work. I've honestly thought about trying one. Um, so maybe something like that. But the big thing is just being aware, being aware. And it takes time. It takes time to ingrain the new habits. It takes time to, to train the body. Um, another thing, last little tip, is that a lot of times the reason that we're kind of slouched over is because we're on the phones, we're on the laptops, we're on the computers, uh, we're on the tablets, we drive, we sit. Um, and, and when we do all those things, kind of our shoulders kind of tend to come in, right? And and maybe it's, uh, you know, as I'm doing this right now and you can't see it, like it's over-exaggerated, but that's that's kind of the the, the forward folded shoulders, not folded, forward folded, but forward rotated shoulders is kind of, you know, common slouchy position. Um, And what happens over time, weak back muscles, tight chest muscles, kind of, you know, just make that problem even worse. So if you can kind of work on strengthening your back, doing rows, doing pulls, things like that, that are squeezing your shoulder blades together, that are working those muscles in your upper back, um, while also trying to stretch some of your, your chest muscles, the, 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 the pecs that might be a little bit tight, which again, going back to whoever's quit, Michaela's question earlier about the foam roller. Maybe you get a, uh, uh, if you have a long enough foam roller, you can lay on it and just l- lay on the, you know, the, the foam roller running all the way up to the, the, the center of your back or along your spine and just let your shoulder blades, or let your arms fall off, open to the side. It's going to give a nice stretch to your chest. Um, doing, you know, stretching against the wall, like where you hold the wall with one hand and kind of rotate it out, um, and that can help stretch your your, your shoulder and your, your chest. Um, but doing those in, in combination, strengthening the back, stretching the the cat, uh, stretching the the chest, um, can help to improve your posture a little bit as well by ma- basically making it so you're not fighting upstream the whole way. So combination of things, but it all just comes down to being aware. The more frequently that you're aware, the more frequently you're checking in with the, what your posture is doing, and then correcting it. Long term, the less you'll have to keep checking in with your posture and correcting it. But it's all about awareness. It's all about awareness. So uh, you know, set those set those alerts, set those reminders. Uh, invest in the, the gadgets um, that, that say that they help you. Um, and good luck, good luck. But definitely something worth. This is like I said, this is one of those that's probably worth correcting, even if it doesn't seem broken at the time. Uh, not a bad idea. And again, something that I've thought about. i'm right there with you i am slouchy af so uh maybe you and me both nicole can kind of work on our posture uh into the next year and beyond uh but thank you for the question uh three more one from heather Uh, i have a heart rate training question well let's talk heart rate training girl um as i understand it most methods agree to keep our heart rate low you know in the green zone blue zone zones two and three under math etc which again totally right like there's a whole host of different uh vernaculars and different theories but they're all you know any good training philosophy is like, yep, most of your runs should be in kind of in that low, that low level of effort. So, you know, whatever terminology you want to use spot on there, Heather. Uh, so most of them, let's see here. Let me start this again. As I understand most, most methods agree to keep our heart rate low during training. What should we then expect our heart rate to do for a full marathon or longer on race day? What does quote unquote race pace look like? So great question. Great question. It's something that, uh, I don't know that I've talked a lot about, um, and I apologize for that. Cause I've talked a lot about heart rate training, right? Uh, but maybe not always about what that means on race day. So, um, you know, you're training low, you're training in that, in that low zone. Most of the time, maybe you mix in a speed workout here and there, which is fine and actually beneficial. Good thing to do. Uh, but predominantly you're running easy, right? Uh, but then on race day, we're not racing easy. Most of the time, at least most of the time you're out there to push yourself. You're out there to, to, to aim for time goals. You're out there to, 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 to you know, measure yourself on that day uh, against other races that you've run of the same distance. So, you know, what, what's your heart rate going to do? What's well, going to go up? It's going to go up. It's going to be outside of your normal training zone. That's okay. That's okay. your, your body's able to handle that, you know? Um, so don't, don't worry about it. Don't freak out about it. Don't stress out about it. Just go out and run, go out and run. Um, what does race pace look like? That's a little bit trickier because you're not practicing, quote unquote, practicing race pace very often. Right? So, my, my advice for race day and what I do for myself on race day, right? We'll start with that and then I'll kind of give some advice. So what I do for myself when I'm running a race is I change the watch. Like I still wear my heart rate strap, okay? But I make sure that my watch doesn't show me any heart rate data at all, okay? I don't want to see what it is. I know it's going to be higher than my math number, right? It's going to be potentially 10, 15, 20 beats per minute higher. That's okay. I'm not worried about that. I just don't want to see it and freak out and be like, oh God, like I'm used to running at 138 and it's at 161. Well, uh, can I can I maintain this? Like I don't I don't want to deal with those thoughts. All right. I just want to focus on how I'm feeling. So I I I still track it, of course. You know, I'm still gonna get the data afterwards, but I turn my I you know, change the settings on my watch face so I'm not seeing the heart rate number. And I typically will also change the settings on my watch face so I'm not seeing my running pace either. Okay? All I, sh- all I show on my watch face is usually distance, certainly distance, you know, as far as how far have I run and oftentimes overall time as well, which sometimes that gets me in trouble. Cause then I just end up doing the math and be like, all right, well, like uh, you know, I just crossed mile 10 and I'm at, you know, whatever I'm at, uh, 90 minutes. So I clearly I'm running a nine minute pace. Um, and so sometimes I'll even turn the, the time off and just have the distance in my, in my watch. So I can reference where I'm at on the race in accordance to how far, the race distance is. And the reason I do that is because I'm, I want to run by feel. I want to trust my body. Um, and, and, um, back in the day, one of the old timers I had on the show, uh, Chuck was his name. What's, his, I can't remember Chuck's last name. Um, but he said, he said that, you know, relying too much on technology. Cause he's a, he's an old timer, right? Like he's, he's, you know running with his, with his sundial on his wrist, as opposed to any type of fancy G- GPS watches. Uh, but he's like, I think a lot of times people can run faster than, 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 they give themselves credit for so they actually shackle themselves by saying all right I, my goal is to maintain a whatever a 9 minute pace for this race but they actually might be capable on the day of running an 835 but they don't trust it and so they they hold themselves back so ever since then what I've been doing is I run and, and sorry his advice um was to always run as hard as you can on that day given the race distance that remains so you know obviously you're going to run harder on a 5k than you are for a marathon but you know, for your, for your question there, Heather, uh, what does race pace look like? I mean, who knows, who knows? And I try not to even look at it again. I, I try not to just, just know how much farther I'm going on race day, uh, how I'm feeling, try to push at a level that I think is maintainable from where I am now for the next hour, two hours, three hours, whatever, however long I'm expecting to be out there for the race and just cruise on it and constantly adjusting, constantly playing with it. If I get to, you know, two hours in and I feel like, man, maybe, yeah, maybe I pushed a little too far back off a little bit. I get to, you know, only, only a few miles to go, five miles to go. And I'm feeling pretty good. All right, well, let's maybe let's push it up a little bit, but all the while, if I'm not focusing on my pace, if I'm not focusing on my heart rate, if I'm focusing on just on how I feel, um, I tend to surprise myself. I tend to be like, well, damn, wasn't sure that was possible, but sure as hell just PR'd, you know, or just ran a, ran a, a a good negative split, you know, or whatever the case might be. So, um, you know, to your questions, what should you expect your heart rate to do on, on race day? It's going to be high. That's okay. That's okay. What does race pace look like? It's tough. It's tough to know for sure. If you have a certain time goal that you're aiming for, then you're going to, you know, probably want to, want to kind of figure out what the time go what the, what the race pace needs to be. But if you can, if you can manage the uncertainty of just trusting your body and running, that's what I like to do. That's what I like to do. So, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be, you know, what, do, what does race pace look like? Again, it's my like third time trying to answer the question. Um, and I don't know if this is going to be any better than the first couple of attempts, but we'll see. Um, it's going to look a lot faster. Than what you've been used to running at when you're training, which maybe that's another reason why I don't like to look at my race pace because it's easy to freak out and be like, well, damn, I'm used to running at you know 9:45 pace on my training runs that would keep my heart rate where I want it to be, and now I'm running at 8:30. Like, I don't know. Can I? And then you start to freak out, you start to panic a little bit. Can I maintain this? I don't know. So I just don't even look at it. Trust my body. Yeah, I feel everything feels good, feels fine, breathing's good, Um, running strong. Hey, let's let's ride it out as long as we can. Um, seems like it works, seems like it works. And because of all the uncertainty, because you're running easy most of the time, um, I think sometimes that might be the way to go. That might be the way to go, but you kind of got to play with it. It comes with experience, comes with with trial and error a little bit. Um, but yeah, your heart rate is going to be high. Your pace is going to be faster than what you're used to running and your body's going to be okay. Like your body's going to remember how to do it. Your body's, body's crazy like that. Um, so trust it, lean into it, go out there and have fun and then look at the data afterwards. And hopefully that's where you go. Well, damn, all this heart rate training that Diz talks about all the time. It works. It works because it does. Because it does. Thanks, Heather. Uh, two more questions. One more from our friend, Jason Dennis. Uh, this is one I'm going to kind of throw him under the bus again. After, after last week's double, double bus running over. Um, actually I'm going to kind of throw myself under the bus on this one too. So it's, don't worry, Jason. It's not too bad. It's not too bad. We're going to, we're going to both be under the bus on this one. Um, but the question: After running every day over the summer in hot and humid Georgia, I'm optimistic with runs in the fall seeming much easier. Am I overdoing it if I run a little faster and even alter my quote unquote easy pace by close to a minute per mile? Um, I get what you're saying, Jason, and here's where here's where we're here's where I've steered you wrong, and here's where your wording is uh, is wrong. Um, as I mentioned this earlier. Easy is not a pace. Easy is not a pace. At least I think I mentioned it earlier. If not, I'm mentioning it now. Easy is not a pace. Okay. Um, there is no easy pace. There's easy effort. And that translates to a certain pace. Now, a lot of, and I say easy pace all the time. So this is where I'm guilty. This is where I should be the one under the bus, not you. Um, where I am, I'm going to, I'm taking you out of the bus, out, out from underneath the bus, insert myself there, because I say all the time, yeah, easy pace, run at an easy pace, easy pace efforts. Um, easy is not a pace. All right easy is a level of effort. And, and the reason that's an important distinction to make, it might, it might seem like, yeah, but yeah, if I'm running slower, that's, that's going to keep it easy. Uh, so slower pace, easy pace with six to one half dozen the other. No, because what happens and what your, what your question is getting at here is the exact reason that we shouldn't consider easy to be a pace because when it's hot, when it's humid in Georgia, when it's hot, when it's humid in Florida, Texas, Arizona, wherever, um, I guess it's not humid in Arizona, but it's hot, hot in Arizona. Um, but, but when that's the case, and you're running at whatever, let's say 10 minutes is keeping you at that easy level of effort, um, it's more than just your running that keeps you at that level of effort to be, quote unquote, still easy. It's external factors. When the weather drops down a little bit, and all of a sudden you're running at 840 pace at the same level of effort, well, you're running at 840 is your pace, your effort's still easy, all right? But it's it's, it's not an exact correlation, because it could be that the next day you get a terrible night of sleep, the weather is just as cool, but all of a sudden, you know, you're struggling to run, you know, a ten fifteen pace at that same level of effort. Well, trying to force, well, 840 is my new easy pace and trying to force that. Well, guess what? That day that you didn't get a good night of sleep or that you ate something that, that disagreed with you a little bit, or that you're just fatigued from training so much, um, that, that 845 that you're running is no longer easy. All right. So you get locked into paces defeats the, doesn't defeat the purpose, but it muddies the water. Something fierce sometimes about what is actually easy and what is not easy as an effort some days my easy pace is you know is in the 8 minutes you know high high 8 minutes 845 850 905 910 all right some days my easy pace is 1030 1035 both easy obviously a pretty you know a couple minute swing it's because some days the body is is in a, in a good place rested recovered ready to go some days, not so much. And you need to be able to respect that and not try to force easy on a day when your body's saying, no, nine minute pace is not easy today, my friend. Today's a, a 1045 is an easy day. And you gotta be okay with that. Gotta be okay with that. So um, are you overdoing it by running a little bit faster right now? No, as long as it's still easy. But but please, and, and forgive me for constantly saying this the wrong way, because I said it a half a dozen times in today's episode as well about easy pace. Easy is not a pace, right? Easy is a level of effort. Pace is correlated but not, not exactly the same. All right. So some days easy can be faster. Some days easy can be slower. Um, some days harder is faster. Some days harder is slower. All right. It all depends on a lot of things, a lot of other factors beyond just pace. So focus on running easy, let your pace do what it does. It might be a minute faster, a minute and a half faster when it's cooler. That's just the benefit of the cooler weather. All right. Embrace it because it's going to be hot in Georgia again before long. Just like it's going to be hot in Florida, still hot in Florida, but eventually it might cool down here. Then it's going to warm back up here. Um, but on those days when it's nice and cool and you can just get out there and cruise and everything feels good, embrace it. Keep it easy, but enjoy that that little burst of speed, my friend. Enjoy that little burst of speed. Last but not least, question from Barb. As winter is closing in on us and I'll be running on the treadmill for the next several months, do you have any suggestions to keep it fresh? I keep most of my runs easy doing heart rate training. So there's another one. I'm bored with the old heart rate training. Uh, but do you have any ideas on how to uh, formulate and incorporate speed work, one minute, two minute distance based. What are some ideas to take it up a level? So, uh, Barb, I mean, you know, you know that I'm not the biggest uh, treadmill fan, not because I'm anti-treadmill. It's just, I don't, I get so bored running on the treadmill. So I get you, I get you. I'll give you my, my first, you know, kind of my annual suggestion for, for, uh, making the treadmill a little bit less boring, uh, is to, you know, figure out like a show, a movie, uh, audio book, podcast, whatever, something that, that really excites you, that really is interesting to you, that you want to watch, you want to listen to, you want to hear, uh, and only listen to it when you're on the treadmill, only watch it when you're on the treadmill, pick something with a bunch of seasons, maybe, you know, that'll get you through the winter. Um, but you're, if you're only watching it when you're on the treadmill, that'll, that'll help take your mind off the treadmill run a little bit, especially doing heart rate training, mostly running easy, uh, give you something else to focus on something else to motivate you to keep, keep training, right? Um, as far as freshening in, freshening it, freshening, as far as keeping it fresh, uh, <laughs> Barb, um, yeah, mixing some workouts. That's fine. That's fine. Obviously it depends on what kind of treadmill you have. You can do some ups and downs, do some hill repeats, uh, something like that, ramping up the the incline and lowering it back down, ramping it up, lowering it down. You can do speed workouts as well. You can do one minute, you can do distance based. It doesn't matter. Um, you got the world's your oyster. The one thing that I would think about is how quickly you're treadmill gets up to speed and slows back down so you know, if you're only doing a one minute speed repeat um you know you might it might take you 15 seconds for the the belt to pick up fast enough pace to, to get you going um and you might even not be able to crank your treadmill up fast enough to go for a short repeat you might be able to i mean it depends on the treadmill and how fast you are and things like that um, but that's just something to consider so you may end up doing more like when i do not to, when I do repeats on a treadmill, it's been a, it's been a minute since I've done that. Uh, but if I were to do repeats on a treadmill, I'd probably aim for like a five minute repeat, maybe a half mile repeat quarter, three quarter mile, a mile repeat, something like that. Something where I'm going to push it, but for a longer. so I'm not constantly ding, 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 up and down in this, the speed on the treadmill. Okay. Um, but it's up to you. I mean, you don't have to do that. And I know people that do one minute repeats or that do quarter mile repeats on the treadmill. It, it can work, especially if you've got a good treadmill that has a, a pretty wide range of of speeds and a good engine on it so it can pick up the pace pretty quickly um but yeah i mean you can play with it you can play with with uh, some type of ladder or pyramid type of situation where you go you know one minute two minutes three minutes four minutes five minutes um with of course recovery in between kind of work yourself up build yourself back down you can do that with distance you can do a quarter mile half mile three quarter mile mile then three quarter half mile um you can do it the opposite direction You start with a mile and work your way down to a quarter and back up i mean you literally you your options are restrained by your creativity all right and which we're trying to keep it fresh. Hey, maybe that's something that, that uh, becomes a regular part of the routine this winter. Um, you know, different workouts, different styles, different different you know tempo runs. Just set it and forget it for for four or five miles, um, or three or four miles, or whatever. Uh, but you know, pick up the pace up to a, a moderate level or a slightly difficult level of moderate, uh, and then just get in cruise. Um, that can be good. I mean, whatever. You know, you can you can do all kinds of different things. So then you can do math tests on it. Um, it's a little bit trickier cause you get to control this pace, pace the whole way. Um, but you know, you can, you can try to play with that. Um, you know, you can, you can, again, pretty much as much, as much creativity as you want to put into the, into the mix. And especially if you can, if you can combine the elevation as well, so you can combine some, some Hills with some speed and some different things. Um, you can get lots of good workouts on the treadmill. I just would rather not do that as you all know. Um, but yeah, good luck with that, Barb. Hope that you're able to, to find the motivation or, you know, find the ways to keep it fresh. And of course, if, if other folks have ideas, please let us know, chime in on the Facebook group. Um, you know, what you do, what do you do to get through winter months on the treadmill? I'm thinking, you know, kind of going back in the past, but talking about the run better apps, you can kind of run different courses, uh, you know, different marathon routes. Um, so that, you know, different apps, different things like that might be something useful. Get, get a Peloton subscription, something like that. Just play it on your phone. Uh, you know, 13 bucks a month and you get all kinds of strength training and yoga and things like that. Like I love my Peloton app. So maybe you do something like that to keep it fresh. I don't know. Um, but there's options out there. You just got to find that what, what, you know, just cause there's options. doesn't mean, they're all good for you. What, what would excite you? What would be good to keep you going? Uh, and then, you know, play with them. See what, see what you see what you like. Um, and kind of go from there. So hopefully that helps bar, but thank you for the question. And thank you everyone for the questions. And look at that. Look at that. Under two hours yeah boy who yeah how are we doing How are we doing under two hours? and I think we have more questions this month this month than last month, so I don't know maybe i I'm, I'm getting uh you know a little bit more concise talking in a few less circles maybe the answers maybe the questions were a little easier to answer. I don't know, but uh, we got through it we got through it and that's what matters. so um I'll wrap this one up fairly quick, but uh, i'm gonna I'm gonna not forget to do the the plugs at the end this time like I did I think last month, because I was just so worn out from two hours and fifteen minutes of straight talking uh, so today. What did you think of this one? Was there an answer that you liked, an answer you didn't like, something you disagree with, something that uh, you want to give me an attaboy for? Uh, probably not any of that. Probably some some uh, disagreement somewhere along the line. Uh, but always love to hear back from you guys. Always love to get that feedback. At Dizruns on Twitter, at Dizruns on Instagram. Dizruns at gmail.com is the email. And, of course, you can head over to the show notes for today. Uh, there's not as many memes and gifs in here, but there's a few memes and gifs in here. Uh, certainly enough to keep me interested, maybe enough to keep you... Uh, or, enough to entice you to come check them out uh disruns.com slash eight eight seven is the link today we have some links and stuff like that in there as well if you're so inclined disruns.com slash eight eight seven uh last but not least if you want to get your question into uh into the hopper for november or december or january or whenever uh disruns.com slash facebook is the link to take you to the facebook group click to join we'll let you in and as long as you uh you know don't start spamming the group with all kinds of stuff that has no business being there We'll let you stay. In fact, we'll encourage you to stay. And then, when there's that post that comes up in the middle of the month, what are your questions? You put your questions in there. We answer them. Bada boom, bada bam. Here we go. Also, if you haven't uh, raised your hand yet and you would like to to be interviewed for a future episode of the show, let me know. You can hit me up on social media at disruns You can shoot me an email, show notes, whatever. Send a smoke signal. Send the carrier pigeon. Whatever works best for you um, works best for me. Just let me know you're interested. I'll put you on the list. We're I don't know, 35, 40 people on the list right now. We've gotten through, I don't know, whatever, we've gotten through 15, 20 of them, something like that. Uh, we're going to keep on keeping on. And so, uh, always, always room for more on the list and, uh, really having a blast talking to you guys. So if you're up for, if you're up for a little chat, a little, little few easy miles and a great conversation, uh, I'd love to have you. Love to have you. So, uh, until then, y'all, please be well. Take good care. Thanks again for listening. If you like this one, hit that share button, spread the word. Appreciate that always. And until next time, y'all, be well. All right. Take care, guys. See ya.